Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics. And I'm Phil Wolf of the Nefers Initiative. This is the Herpeticulture Podcast, which is part of the Herpeticulture Network. Enjoy the show. Because we're pretty, Jeff. That's exactly it. Uh, you, maybe, but... <laughs> no, no, no. You're both quite adorable. <laughs> it's, it's like glorious mustache. <laughs> the it couple... Uh, for legit, legit, the, the powerhouse, the Kanye and Kim. Oh no, of Corrales. I was gonna say Sonny and Cher, but all right. No, oh, I don't know. That's the first couple that came to mind. How sad is that? Do you believe? <laughs> uh, on that note, this is episode 114 of the Herpeticulture Podcast. I'm Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics, as always, joined by Mr. Phil Wolf of the Nefrurus Initiative. Nepurus. Sure. And this show is brought to you by Steve's Snakeuary and his Venom Hot Sauce. If you don't have any, you need to get you some. That cotton mouth sauce is the bomb. We can uh, that. Yes. And then, MP Cages and Exotics, you need a rack, you need a cage. You need to send our boy Sean a message and get you something. Get you something built. I'm still working out the update on the on the beaded lizard thing. I'm still working out what route to go. It's I'm I'm probably overthinking it a lot in terms you of are. what I should be doing, but I just want to decide something that's not gonna cost me uh like a month's worth of a mortgage on my house. Right. And Something that I can reasonably get from A to B here easily that also doesn't require a small loan. So the beaters themselves, I can go pick them up at any time. They're right up the road, but <sighs> such is life. Such is life. But as we said before, we're joined by the it couple, the Snakes and Stogies sponsor, Puget Sound Pythons, Mr. Jeff Opst. And Kendra Westy. Candizzi. You guys are too nice. We it's love you guys. Fun. <laughs> we had, I know we've we've tried to schedule something in the past, and of course schedules are, are tough, especially when you know you guys are in two separate places right now. And uh, but yeah, we uh this one's been kind of a long time coming. Um but I mean, I'm anxious to get into it because you guys have a lot of different stuff. And since I myself like a lot of variety, I'm always curious as to why other people like variety. Like even Phil has variety. Jake has variety-ish. He has variety. Billy has variety. Billy has variety. Casey has variety. He does. All our people. Our folks. I don't know. I think I just... keeping a diverse collection just keeps it interesting. Yeah. It's yeah, I mean it's tough because I've also contemplated many times just focusing on like one thing, but I know within no time I'll be getting something else. Like I'll I just there's something about the difference between chondros and bairds. Like there's there's a very large gap there. And so you kind of need like the eye candy that never moves, and then you know, the other eye candy that does nothing but move. And I don't I don't know. It's just it's the spice, the spice of life. But uh, what's been happening? 
uh, breeding seasons and, you know, full swing yeah. coming, coming, you know, to egg season. So pretty excited about that. We have a couple girls that are supposed to drop any day now. So that'll be exciting. How about I, always, you guys? I always find it crazy how, like, you know, the times of the year, you know, how long gestation is incubation is, but like you're, and you're always chomping at the bit, like, okay, is it almost there? Is it almost there? Is it almost there? But in actuality, that shit flies by pretty quick. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Because none of us are keeping Muller's chameleons, for Christ's sake. You know what Not I mean? Cyania eggs, dude. Oh, my God. Well, I mean, yeah, that's a that's another thing. But aside from 20, that. 20 days. We got them paired up right now. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Hopefully we do something. Have you seen anything from them yet? No. Not yet. Hmm. No. They're very secretive. I'll tell you that. Yeah. My uh, my female's kind of the only one that's out on a regular basis. My male, he's kind of out every now and then. But my female, like I, I came home and she was sitting on her little platform under her uh, her heat panel. She likes to chill there. Once, not long after lights are out, she comes out and just splays, sprawls out, festoons herself. Yes. <laughs> but you guys have for the most part. Yeah, that's good. They uh. My female, she's she's not bad. Um, my male, he's he's considerably more untrustworthy. Uh, but I don't really play with them a whole lot, anyways. The babies I'll kind of mess with every now and then, but they. Uh, I need to offer food again soon. Behind on that right now. I think we're taking the hands-off approach when you know, just leaving them, let them do what they want to do mm-hmm. as far as breeding goes. Um, same with the white lips. So if we get eggs, awesome. Mm-hmm. But we're going to let them try to handle it. They're, they know what to do. Yeah. <laughs> so. right, that's, that's my policy when it comes to chondros and stuff. You know, the female's going to let him know when she's ready. They'll figure it out, you know. We just try to make sure the conditions are good enough for them to reproduce and hope for the best. Story of my life. <laughs> so what was the uh, what was the the first species that got you guys involved in things on like the serious level like i know kendra was a ball python like you still are but you before you and jeff ball python seem to be a pretty big part of the, the picture yeah yeah so uh i took it yeah seriously like at the ball python level I dabbled with corn snakes previously, but I wasn't like, I wasn't really into it. And it was just more of like a, like a home thing that I wasn't, you know, it wasn't something I was serious about, just something that, that I wanted to try. But ball pythons are definitely where I, where I took that serious approach to it and really making sure that I had, you know, proper equipment, uh, you know, had, was prepared for hatchlings, was prepared for medical bills or vet bills, um, and, and I took those steps ahead of time before I even, you know, paired anything. I got everything from hatchlings um, and grew them up, you know, like, <laughs> you know, I, I think I started it, started it out differently than a lot of people do nowadays. Um, and so I think that really helped me kind of focus in and, and you know, take that serious, take that serious path in, into mm-hmm. doing ball pythons. Did you start off with like uh, a singular pet or like two pets that and you kind of fell in love with everything and snowballed or was like, you know what? I like these. I'm just going to go 
I have, I have future plans. I have goals. Like how did it, how did it, you know, foundation wise happen? Um, I think like most people, it starts out as a pet, right? Um, I had been watching a lot of uh, Ralph Davis videos back in the day on YouTube and uh, even like some Garrick DeMeyer videos. And that's actually where, who I got my very first ball python from was from Garrick DeMeyer. Um, and I, you know, I saw like this, the, how the disposition, all the, the color mutations that were, that, that were available at that time um, back in late 2000s, I think, or no, early 2000s, maybe even. Um, and so it started as a pet. I was, I wanted to, tr you know, have one, see what it was like. And then shortly, I mean, yeah, then <laughs> shortly after it kind of snowballed with the, um, oh, I like this. Oh, I like that. And then, um, being, a, being, you know, a kid at the time who didn't have a job or anything, it was, it was, a the, the ambition was there, but financially I wasn't, yeah. <laughs> so I had to limit myself, which was probably, you know, a good thing at the time. Um, but I think like everybody else, we, we kind of get this obsession, uh, um, obsession in, into what we want to do. And I think that really, that, that financial burden of in the beginning was really stopped me from trying to get too much too quickly. I remember being at that stage and, you know, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this. And then you get older and you're like, the bills just kind of say, <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> Exactly. You think you want three anacondas until you have to feed three. Yeah. <laughs> Goats and small children are expensive. Yes. Yeah. I think it was different for me though. I think carpets, I, my first snake was a ball python, of course. Um, but carpets is what really got me excited. You know, they did a whole lot more. They moved around. Um, then I discovered, you know, Nick Mutton and all the stuff that he was making. And it was just, it just set me off. It snowballed right after that. Nice. Nice. So I'm always appreciative of the fact that I got bit by the, the Morelia bug early though. Like I, I came, I think I, I was keeping carpets before I had my first ball Python. And I don't know. I think just that something about those that I found myself, maybe, maybe it would have been different if I had kept ball pythons first and then got into carpets and was like, it's not really the same, but kind of the other way around. I think it, it may have changed the trajectory of things. But I think with yeah. ball pythons, they're just they're, there's so many things you can do with them. They're easy to mm -hmm. breed. Um, they're easy to house, take care of if you know what you're doing. And I think that's what gets a lot of people excited. And as far as carpets and stuff like that, just natural history, their behaviors. Is, and, you know, there's different color mutations you can do with them now, too. So especially with Bradley. Love them. The superior Morelia. <laughs> superior Morelia. Yeah, there's just something about the... I won't necessarily say, like, the activity level, because I would say that they are more active than your, your, you know, your ball python, but there's just, like, this curiosity factor to them where they, you know, when they're out, they're, they're clearly just searching and scanning and sort of doing their thing, and uh, I don't know. I just, I never really got that that from ball pythons necessarily it was just kind of a there's just a whole lot more going on upstairs and you can tell mm -hmm. yeah i feel like they have like a, mm -hmm. like, a like a nightly goal list you know <laughs> what i'm saying water bowl yeah like yeah. like like every night they they get out of the emerge from their lair and they think okay i'm gonna i'm gonna bask a little bit soak up the last bit of warmth maybe i'm gonna sniff over here maybe i'm gonna poop over there you know it's just there's there's a, there's a to-do list for each night and the ball pythons is like, I'm just going to sit here 
I'll put my head out behind, but that's all you get. And as soon as you walk in, I'm going to disappear. Or or in my case, they're going to launch out across the room at my face. (laughs) (laughs) That does happen, yes. I've actually, I've never bought my own ball python, but I've had probably a dozen over the years that people gifted or rehabbed or whatever. And, you know, oh, hey, we watch my snake and then I never come back to get it. (laughs) Um, But I've, (laughs) right. But I've been, uh, I've been kind of blessed because I've never had a morph. I've always had a, a normal and they were all not your normal roll up in a ball, ball python. They were, they were Royal pythons. They were, cruising the cage each night you know they, they didn't know they were ball pythons let's just put it that way <laughs> don't so. try to church it up son <laughs> no we love them you know i mean not all of them are just you know pet rocks but most of them yeah they pretty much they're just chill they're there they do get i mean I, I will say they do get a lot of they do get a lot of flack for the community and i've said it before they're just they're an easy target you know it's just like saying it's just like justin bieber in music he's an easy target <laughs> oh. you know <laughs> Whether you like him or not, he's an easy target. And, you know, it's like you can talk all the smack you want. He's still got way more money than any of us, and he's way more popular than anybody else. So, or at least was at one point. So that's very accurate. But they are cool snakes at the end of the day. They are snakes. I do, I do think they're neat. There's a lot of morphs that I do appreciate. Um, What's you know, your favorite? I may not. I may not know what they are, but I can at least look at it and say that's a pretty snake. Uh, my favorite, honestly, is just a Mojave. Nice. I'm, I'm I'm basic. I don't know what it is about that. There's just like that that slight fade from like the top to the bottom, and then I don't know. But some of the stuff you guys produced recently um, with those last clutches were pretty freaking sweet too. Oh yeah, there's Holdback City on those, the clown stuff. Oh, I know some of my favorites for sure. Yeah, you guys have some bone white animals for sure. Oh yeah, that uh, that pied that we still have available. She's uh, she's gorgeous. She's got like one little black speck on her, so we call her Marilyn Monroe because there's oh, just one little awesome. freckle on her. That's a little, awesome. A little beauty mark, yeah. The beauty mark. That's cool. Hey, do you guys know how many like standardized mutations there are right now or no? I have no <laughs> idea. <laughs> I don't even. No half of them. Not I was talking to somebody recently. They're like, oh, yeah, they're at 436 or something, some obscure number. That seems low to me. Really? That I, seems that's, low, yeah. I thought that seemed high. I would, A lot I of it's would, the same, though, as well. And then they people fight over, oh, no, it's different. Yeah. So who knows, really? Travis was talking about that recently, I think. I think one of the biggest things that ball python people as a whole like the actual ball python people not just people that keep royals or keep balls themselves but the ball python people need to start educating the masses that a spider or a pastel or an ivory or whatever is still a ball python because i've been in the pet shop and had people come in to you know get their rat or whatever get their bag of crickets and you know the employees say okay well, what animal are you feeding just making small talk you know and they're like oh i have an ivory python or i have a piebald python and it's like well you mean a ball python like no 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 it's 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 a pastel it's a pastel python it's like we got to fix that i think as a whole as a hobby we just we got to do better about educating people yeah about where these animals come from what they really are um, i mean not everybody even knows where a ball python comes from and yeah, that's that is aggravating. Yeah. yeah. Tasmania. 
Colorado. All those, all those yeah. Tasmanian Tigers. <laughs> yeah, I think there's definitely needs more precedence with, especially like people who are who are breeders, who are who have a face in this community in the reptile industry in general. They, I think that there needs to be more of a push there to really educate people because I think a lot of these these people who come into these you know Facebook groups or what have you, you know, it was an impulse buy. Because so-and-so, some pet tuber had one and they're like, oh, that's cool. And they said that they were easy and they're really pretty, you know, and so they're like, yeah, I'm just going to go out and buy it. But I don't know anything about this animal or, or where it comes from or what it eats or, you know, it's anything. And we have that like, in the yeah, carpet community too, And then they have a list of questions and it's just like, oh, goodness. <laughs> yeah. You always see yeah, a post about what, what kind of carpet do I have? Mm-hmm. So I think it it does tie together. It's just beginners just impulse buy, mm-hmm. not knowing what they're getting into. But I will say this, just to retort on the carpet thing, I think it's a little more difficult for carpet people because there are jungles that look coastally. There are coastals that look, you know, Papuan-y. You know what I'm saying? Well, it's a ball python morph. It's still a ball python. Yeah. Like no one's walking into Petco with their Angolan Python saying, yeah, Hey, what, what kind of ball Python is this? You know what I'm saying? Well, as that could happen with, you know, a Brettles or and a coastal or whatever. That is fair. I don't, I never even thought about the whole multiple names for us for the same morph thing until it was mentioned on something recently. It was, I think it was another podcast. I cannot remember for the life of me what it was, but someone was talking about how, that everyone needs to get on the same page because there was like, it was like a champagne and there was something else that was the same thing. But for some reason it had another name that people were using. And is that, there's, is that intercontinental? No, like it was their same gene, but they're being advertised as two different things. When they're what the I'm same saying is the, the name isn't the, it's someone just made that name up or is that like, cause there's plenty of times we say ball mm-hmm. Python Europe says Royal, you know what I'm saying? It's not like no, that. this was a, a. I think it was in the U.S. that it was an issue. Okay. I'm like, so irritated. I can't remember where I heard it, but it was interesting because well, I never thought about that. It's like with the lesser and what was it? Butter. Maybe it was butter. Yeah. The same thing. Mm-hmm. Really. People like to you know use them interchangeably because one's perceived as more valuable because it comes from certain people or. Mm-hmm. So, I thought they were two different animals. Well, I mean, the they, same. They the you same can have thing. the same argument about coral glow and banana. Um, yeah. You know, there are some diehards who say that coral glow and banana are separate, and then there are other people who say they're the same. Um, and without like, you know, lineage information, which I don't know who in the ball python community actually does lineage information on their ball python <laughs> breeding. Really? Um, <laughs> you know, um, that's just. I think that's just going to be an argument that's going to last forever until we, as a whole, make a decision. Wow. Now that I think about that, too, I don't think I've ever seen a lineage chart for a ball python. No. Nope. And you probably never will. <laughs> I got it off Craigslist. Insane. Yeah. I would think that would be the corner of the hobby where you'd be seeing that the most. No, because everyone and their mom breeds ball pythons. Who has time to... To keep records on them when they got them off but, Craigslist or or OfferUp or whatever. The five gene madness. How do you keep track of that? That's how things get lost in translation. Is someone sells something that's like a four or five gene animal or whatever, 
someone else gets it and they're like they remember maybe three of those genes they're like yeah it's this 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 and then two other things i can't remember and, and throw a couple like, heads Ooh. in there for yeah yeah that's nuts well, i think it cracks me up when i always see people who are who you know post pictures of their normal ball python they're like hey does this look like it has any het markers it's like, oh my god, like <laughs> that like drives me up the wall. I'm like, unless you know exactly where that animal came from, the pairing that it came from, like you won't you won't know. So why are you even asking? Yeah. I mean that goes back to that goes back to like Yeah. They they have to the people that did this 15, 20 years ago, they're the ones who really screwed up. Cause had they done it, then we all would have it and continue to do it. You know what I mean? I, mean, I remember like yeah. days at Strictly, like back in 06, 07, guys would rummage through bins of ball pythons. And they'd be like, you see this? You see that speckle on there? That's a marker. <laughs> like, okay, bro, it's still five ninety nine. Like, you know what I'm saying? Enjoy. <laughs> Let me know how it goes in the next 10 years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> For all I know, that was the first ivory. Who knows? Yeah. Some of those first morphs were worth a lot of money. Yeah, man. That famous picture of the albino ball getting eaten by the king cobra. That thing was, I think, fifty grand at the time. Jesus. Yeah, I'm pretty. Somebody, somebody's going to correct me, I'm sure, but I'm pretty sure at the time they were going for fifty k, and that one, I guess, died. You know, was stillborn or whatever out of the egg, and uh, they fed it to the king cobra and made that T-shirt. And uh, there was all different. It was like before memes were a thing. It was just a T-shirt with a picture and it had words on it, and everyone and their mother had a different version of it. But it was basically like, yeah, I just fed my snake your fifty thousand dollar baby. That's hilarious. <laughs> before it's time. I, yeah, it's just insane how far things have come. I mean, you look at those, you look at cresteds, you know, even corns, like starting out with albinos, and now look at what we have. It's just in a short span of time, too, I would I would say. You know, not even well, counting like the sure. first the first AML corn back in, you know, the, the 70s, uh like even just within the last 20 years since the you know 2000 like things have just exploded but it's a fun hobby you know it it has its ups and its downs but i think it's going in the right place hopefully do you do you think that ball pythons are overrated overrated um in a do way do you yes. think the hype is is matches the the popularity i love ball pythons i love what we have the different combinations you can have but at the same time i wish people had the same amount of passion as they did for ball pythons with other species absolutely um, like you know carpets they're moving up in the world but differently asses like in all the python i mm-hmm. think that deserves way more love and attention than you know certain ball pythons but that's just my opinion People are going to like what they want to like, but I think these other species don't get enough attention and that's why people don't really even know about them. Yeah. I think that there's definitely a lot more visibility on, on these quote unquote common, commonly kept, you know, snakes, corn snakes, ball pythons um, versus, you know, other species that I think, yeah, like to Jeff's point that definitely need more, more visibility, need to be talked about more, need to be shown off more. Because I think that there's definitely correlation between, you know, the popularity of ball pythons and then I guess this this thought of um, 
easiness of keeping that species. You know, mm-hmm. people, people say that carpet pythons are for advanced keepers. I've seen that. And I'm just like, what? No, they're not. <laughs> just because you've Keep never owned them, they're, they're advanced in any aspect, you know. I, I don't know. I think that there's there definitely needs to be more light on, on certain species. And there's just not enough keepers who are keeping them. Or if they are, they're just not maybe not showing them off as much. Or they, they're not in that limelight because the popularity is on ball pythons, not on these other things that don't have, you know, a billion other genetic colorations or whatever. Um, you know, and I, I think that, I don't know. I just think that there's a lot more that we could, we could do in our, in our hobby and in our community to kind of shed some light on those. Yeah. I just, I value your opinion, both of y'all's opinion more because you guys keep and you breed balls on top of the other stuff you're doing. You know, I feel like, I can't really talk a whole lot of smack because I've only kept a handful of balls in my life. So I've never bred them. I've never had a desire to breed them. I've thought about it just to see what it, what it's, you know, what it's all about. Yes. Thank you, Phil. I love, I love, the, <laughs> I love the animals, the ball pythons. The mm-hmm. only time I have a problem is with ball python keepers and breeders. Just, I agree because it can, you know, it's becomes it almost like high school and certain groups, you know, have their own little clicks and it becomes a drama thing. Um, but the animals itself, they're amazing. You know, the different color mutations you can have, amazing. And I can see that being a big part of the appeal, you know, pairing two things and not really knowing exactly what's going to come out. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's probably not a ton of stuff that hasn't already been done breeding-wise, you know, and morphs and stuff. But, like, some of those initial first th- pairings, first first clutches from stuff that no one's done before and you know not knowing what you're going to get I, like i can i can understand that because i think that's kind of a similar aspect with chondros you know you don't you may get a clutch of just red or yellow snakes and but you might also get just that one oddball that kind of sticks out that you end up holding on to and seeing how that changes so there's like that that lottery aspect that that is kind of addicting and and fun seeing snakes hatch out of eggs is very addicting that never gets old. Never. Yeah. Never, never. I have a confession. Whether it's a normal or anything. <laughs> I, I, I have a confession. I have not been there. For any of the stuff that I've bred over the years, I have never been there to witness an animal emerge from the egg. <sighs> it wow. is always it is always like I come home and I'm like, oh, they're all out. Damn it. <laughs> every time. I mean, I haven't done a lot, but every time. That's how it's been. So... Oh my gosh, it's the coolest. It's the coolest experience ever. It's on my to-do list. How are you with keep reptiles? You've never experienced that. <laughs> it's, I, it's because I, I'm always like, ah, oh, leave them alone. Ah, oh, check them later. And like I go upstairs and it's like, damn it, I missed it. You know, and this is a lot of this stuff was before there was like nest cameras and stuff, you know. So but you mean to tell me you don't cut the egg open, stick your finger in there, pull it out of the egg? Come on. <laughs> no, because normally it's stuff that I don't want to uh, physically touch if you catch my drift. Yeah, they're a <laughs> spicy. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. I have, I have done the horrible thing of holding the egg with the little cobra head pop at the top. I won't lie. I have done that. And then it's like you're doing this the whole time. You're wiggling your fingers the whole time. And you're like, okay, now how do I put the egg down? And you're like, oh, God, oh, God. You just <laughs> Wait. You're gonna give me a hard time about that, or you're you're gonna you're gonna talk about that. You're gonna give me a hard time about the scrub in the hotel room. <laughs> it, the same thing. It's 
No, it's not. Yes, it was. That scrub was in like a ball. If I had to put it back in the bag, but I had to put my arm in the if bag. If this by one, you die. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like that was really, really stupid on my part. But I had that like 10 second window where the snake has never seen a human before. And it's like, oh my God, what is going on? And then I put the egg down. <laughs> so at least you admit it was stupid. It was horribly stupid, but it had to be done. <laughs> so they're the same, man. Okay, they're the same. Look, man, Thank I you. used to. We're not going to talk about the tannin bar. We're not going to talk about it. All right. Back to how awesome ball pythons are and how Puget Sound Pythons has some amazing critters in their inventory. Or stable, I should say. Yeah, it's pretty diverse. So of the of the of the ball stuff that you paired this year, what are you guys most excited to in theory catch out? I'll let Kendra answer that one. Um, I would say anything clown. Um, we're doing some, uh, uh, double recessive projects this year and then just getting some more, uh, het desert ghost stuff would be cool. Um, we do have a hypopied, we have quite a few hypopied stuff that should be coming this season. And then obviously more pieds cause that's one of my favorites. Um, and then the just, coolest. Well, yeah. <laughs> and then clowns, um, but yeah, I mean, there's going to be a lot of lot of stuff that um, is going to be held back. Obviously, a lot of stuff that's going to be uh, for future projects. Hopefully, I know Desert Ghost is 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 not as as commonly found in this area, um, and it's definitely something I've been wanting to to go and dabble in for a long time. But I would say between the Desert Ghost, the Het Desert Ghost clutch, and then um, the potential for for full Desert Ghost clutch, and then uh, the Hypopied stuff, I'm really excited about those in particular. Anything pied awesome. in the game. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I'm the same way. Anything pied, I'm all about it. Like, ivories yeah. are cool and leucistics are cool, but just the the stark differences of a pied, it's awesome. And the variability yeah. so is awesome. Variation. They're little yeah. snowflakes, yeah. Like, they come out, you know, like, you have that expectation, but they're all different. Regardless, mm -hmm. you know. And I think that's that's probably why that morph in particular is so popular, because no two are the same. Yep, you know, I'm just happy that their own thing. Yeah, I'm just happy they're actually affordable now. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's that's what's good for me at least. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Ball pythons aside, like what else? I mean, I I feel like I know a majority of what you have, but I feel like there's also probably a bunch of stuff that I'm completely oblivious that you have. Like twenty species, so there's a list. Wow, Literally All right. twenty. <laughs> Do it up now. All right, Joel, I have a so, question, real quick, real quick. All right, so now, Jeff, did you were you into snakes before meeting Kendra or no? Yes. So Kendra's been doing this a lot longer than me. Okay. Um, I was I was brand new. I was you know two and a half ish years into it before right. we met. I only had like ten snakes. It was all carpet pythons. I kept some retics and some ball pythons, but ended up getting rid of those. Um, but her, on the other hand, she was full steam ahead, and then we just joined up and doubled down on it. So yeah. So now my next question is: obviously, you guys have your own snakes, but do you guys like? Is it like, hey, baby, I want to go do this this you know breeding? Okay, cool. Or is it, hey, we should do this breeding? Like, are you guys on that same like wavelength? We're on the same that? same wavelength. It's, it's so easy because we love the same things. We want the same things. Um, there's no competition. Combo. That's dangerous. 
Yeah, yeah we, got, we got extremely lucky. Um, so we're yeah, always like, hey, you got to go to FedEx and pick this snake up. I, I bought it. Yeah. <laughs> or we bought it, technically. He's, but... he's said that a few times to me, like, hey, babe, uh, are you home? Uh, yeah. Uh, can you run up to FedEx real quick? <laughs> I'm like, oh, shit. What did you buy now? <laughs> now, we know what we want, you know, and so we have that already in our head. We've already talked about stuff. Yeah. So it's not like we're impulse buying something that we don't know anything about or don't have the space for or don't know how to care for it, that type thing. Um, we definitely know what we're, where we're heading as far as collection goes. Mm-hmm. How we get there, different story. Yeah. <laughs> it's legit the ultimate power couple. You guys are awesome. <laughs> we try. Up awesome. We, we do our best. We do our best. <laughs> it helps that we that we both really like. I mean, even outside of the reptiles, we have a lot of com- common similarities, things that we both enjoy a lot. And so I think that definitely helps, especially with with like a work-life balance and then mm-hmm. life and then reptiles throwing that all into it, into the whole mix. Um you know, having somebody who's, who's able to do that, especially at a collection at our size, you have to have that. Yeah. You don't have that. You're, it's just, it's not going to work in, in, you know. So the I, amount of time we spend in the snake that. room, the, doing the rats. I mean, if we didn't like this together, yeah, we wouldn't spend much time together. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, exactly. it definitely makes exactly. a whole lot easier. I think it's also a big deal that, uh, I mean, you guys obviously have trust, but it's a big deal when like I've had girlfriends that didn't mind snakes but certain animals I could be like, Hey, can you go, you know, change that water dish? I saw it was really poopy this morning and I forgot to do it and they might do it or they, they may not have done it. And then other ones, I wouldn't even ask them because they can't tell the difference between the ball python and the carpet python. But you guys are so in sync and because you both know like all the aspects of it, it's not an issue of whether or not, they're capable, the significant other is capable or incapable of doing it. It's, it's, it's extremely harmonious. It's awesome. It's yep. awesome. I mean, at first it was definitely different because I had my own way of doing things. And of course that was the wrong way. So I had to learn a whole new way to do it. <laughs> it absolutely was. <laughs> but uh, now we're, you know, on the same wavelength, like, um, you know, of She's course, so modest. Always... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> The biggest problem, you know, as far as doing things is, you know, with the big snakes, just having two people and that makes it a whole lot easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, yeah. Without a doubt. It's fun. And you guys have a lot. I mean, you're doing the mice and they're the, you know, the rodents as well. And you yep. know, you both work full-time jobs. And so it's, it's like, it's impressive mm-hmm. that you guys do as much as you do, you know, because I think you guys have someone to help you with rodents. <clears throat> yes. Yeah. So we have two awesome friends that, come and help us with rodents and now help us with cleaning snakes. Um, you know, have our, they, we pay them you know, every so often or give them free feeders type thing. So it's, it works out really well, but I, we definitely could not do it without them. Not mm-hmm. even close. Awesome. So you have 20 species. Like what's the entire collection numbers wise? So amount wise. Yeah. I think we're about 150 or so. Wow. Uh, we're over that. Yeah, I don't know, especially when it comes to baby season. I don't, I'm not sure. Yeah, I think we're I think we're closer to 170 at this point, even with the current babies, um, with the potential of, you know, if all the ball pythons, all of my females lay, um, if we have that other Candoya uh, uh, Pulse and I, you know, have her litter, depending, you know, five to 50, 60 babies, you know. 
if the Demerals has another litter, if if we if I get our Brazilians, like we're we're looking at closer to three hundred at at the end of the breeding season. But nothing, not everything will go. So yeah, exactly. Not yeah. That, not everything will go because nothing is in life is perfect. So how's the Candoya been as far as getting those babies going? Hit and miss. Some some yeah. take, some don't. So we're still, you know, playing with things. Probably gonna have to start assist feeding um, some of them. So definitely good practice for the cyania. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) cross my fingers we we can do that. That's still something new to us, a new species to us. So no no rush on those. But if we do get them, I think we have enough people that have done it that we can seek guidance from. So Mm -hmm. it'll be fun. Yeah, I just I'm so much more about just assist feeding tails and getting it over with. You know, I was I was the same way with with chondro babies. It's like you can sit there and tease feed them for ten minutes and stress them out for ten minutes, or you can just grab them, put a tail in them, put them down, and be done in less than a minute. It's true. And then just continue to offer. You know, that's what I do with the cyania. Offer a pinky if they don't take. Cool, you get a tail. Next week, offer a pinky. Cool, you didn't take it. You get a tail. Like repeat until they they finally get it together. I'll tell you what, though, it's crazy that those little baby Pulse and I can take a day or like a fresh mouse pinky. It's so it's so big and you wouldn't think they'd be able to do it, but they do yeah. it just fine. Yeah. I've seen them at shows. I'm like, there's no way those things are even eaten, you know? Oh, so, yeah. Some, some do. Some don't. Yeah, I don't know. Came right out of mom and they put them straight in a cup and it was like 30 bucks. <laughs> That's irresponsible and not... Yeah the ethical thing to do because you know that people they're going to see that $30 animal and buy it because it's cheap. Um, not knowing what they're going to get themselves into and the animals not going to live. Um, I, think, I mean, yeah, with I mean, that, I think that that cool aspect of owning something that's different than a ball Python is such a big thing too right now. Cause everyone, you know, with the pandemic and everything, I think there's a correlation between people, everyone being at home, everyone wanting a unique home pet that they can look at you know that isn't a dog or a cat because everyone lives apparently in apartments anymore um and so it's like yeah why let me spend 30 dollars on this animal if it dies it dies but not really taking the time to be like okay is this animal eating is this you know what's the proper care for this animal do i even do i have i done any research do i have a setup ready um and a lot of times the answer is no yeah but you get that with a lot of species where people don't sell the babies as established yeah but i think it's a whole lot more apparent with the pulse and i with everybody getting gravid females in and it's just it sucks to see mm-hmm. so yeah, yeah it's, it's a shame i've i've seriously contemplated i mean i see him at shows all the time and I, I even get tempted it's like do i really want to deal with these i'll send you some Right like, now. It'd be fun, but I don't know. And then it's like my thing currently, like as of lately, has been you know, like like Cox has that retic that is very pretty, and I've been very tempted to get it. But at the same time, it's like that's a lot of space to commit to. It's not like a full blood like mainland retic or anything like that. It's one of the small it's got some of the small blood in it, but um still like that's it's a snake that's probably the same size as my male Bredeli right now, if not bigger. Exactly. Red Lee. And he takes up a pretty good amount of space. And so it's like, do I really want to give up space for something that I'm just going to kind of have 
you know, like the scrub. Like I love the tannin bar. I don't really want to get rid of him. I'd actually like to find a female for him, but he takes up a lot of space. And so it's, that's kind of where I was at with the dart frogs, you know, like the dart frogs, I got rid of them because that's space I need for the things I want to breed and, and have more of. And I need that space, so, you know, it just comes down to that kind of decision. So that's a, that's a battle I go through all the time is, you know, yeah, it'd be really cool to have these, but it's like, are they absolutely necessary? I definitely think you should hold on to that tent bar for a female or if you oh, do yeah, let yeah. it go, yeah. let it go to somebody with a female. Cause there yeah. is not enough of those. Yeah, no, I I really I I do want to. I don't I don't have any plans. He's a fun snake too. I mean, as much as Phil says that he was just a, the best cuddler, he's not. He was. I mean, I didn't I like scratch him. It, I don't. You know what it was? It was that weekend in Daytona. Homeboy's an asshole. That's what that was. I mean, Daytona will corrupt someone. Just saying. <laughs> just saying. He obviously couldn't hang. He couldn't hang. He was not about that life. I know some people that are working with him, and I'm trying to figure out if I can line up a female. So there you go. Yeah, the you'll, only have other, better, you'll have better luck than I will. Well, the only issue I see is if I end up getting something young, like hatchling or, or you know, yearling or whatever, the time it takes to raise it up and get it to size, you know, will that male still? Like, at what point Just is he going to be that. geriatric? Nah, I think he'll be all right. I don't. I don't think he's as old as we think he is. I don't know. Keep him lean. Yeah, he doesn't get fed. Yeah. <laughs> it's just not knowing his age. You know, it's like you you end up finding a female and you you have to raise it up to get it to the right age, and by the time you get there, that you know, dude's on his deathbed and can barely move anymore, and so you just now you're stuck with a lone female. It's like now you got to do the same thing with the. <laughs> With a male. Look, it's not going to take you over 10 years to get a female and get her up to size, all right? Yeah. This, he's got a, no, this, but I mean, he's only like four or like, five years old. You're still looking at four or five years. It's true. Well, at that point, have you thought about, you know, finding somebody with a female to work with? I mean, I know breeding projects are very difficult and scary to do, but it's probably the best option. Sometimes for that species, it's, you know, kind of like how KJ did with the Duns with mm-hmm. Brian. Um, Sometimes it's something you should do for the species, but you never know. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's bizarre because I think someone was telling me it might have been Rob, it might have been Harlan, but tandem bars used to be brought in regularly. Like they were not they were not hard to find. They're kinda like Savus, you know. But no one seemed to have any interest in them. And so the you know, the importers stopped bringing them in because they were a waste of money, more or less. And uh, now they're one of those things where, you know, they're they're worth their weight in gold in a sense because the people that have them need more, but there's no more to be had. So I'm still upset that we did not get those sevens, but I know it's whatever more will come more will yes. come. Man, I, I just it just goes back to everything that was Indo back in the day that nobody cared about because it was eccentric and cheap and like. I just remember people having the argument over Savu and Sawu and like, they're like, Oh, I don't care how you say it. It's going to grow up and be ugly anyway. It's like, no, they're gorgeous with the white yeah, eyes and the, Oh, they're just awesome. It's a micro Mac. It's awesome. I think there's, yeah. yeah. I think like to that point, Phil, I think that there's a lot of people who like, who don't like getting into these other species because they are these brown or green, ugly snakes. 
they don't have a, a genetic mutation. You know, there's not an albino yet. There's not a pied in it, whatever. And so people are like, I don't want that. Yeah. Give me something that's pretty. You yeah. Know, give me something that has that wow factor to it when I look at it. And I, I don't know. I, I, there's a lot of work. That's to do. true. It's yeah. true, but I think a lot of people are starting to fall in love with species and not just color mutations. I mean, you got people that are starting to really just fall in love with like locality aspect of certain species as well. And yeah. I Still like where that's enough. going. Still not enough people, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> it's true. I mean, I'm guilty of it. People always made fun of me for years. Phil likes brown snakes. You know, it just <laughs> doesn't matter if it was a, a, a you know, patternless going eye king or it was a king brown. Like, yeah, it's a tan snake. Phil must like it. And it's just been my MO. I like earth tones. What can I say? You know, and liases are starting to really grow on me. I got the Fuscus now and they're my they're my first ever real ones that are like mine. And I friggin' love those ugly bastards. They're great. <laughs> you know, I just took the girl out uh yesterday. She shed and she's like at least 31, 32 inches now, but she's only as thick as my thumb. It's crazy. So it's gonna be interesting. There's a lot of species that don't get appreciated because pictures just don't do them justice. Like I saw this, yeah. I saw those fuscus when you got them, and I was like, "Wow, those are those are really nice." Like in pictures, it's like a swamp water colored snake. It's like cool. It's got yeah. yellow on the belly, whatever. But you see the iridescence and stuff in person. It's like, oh. yeah, like then it makes yeah. a lot more sense. Same with the beards. Like the beards, yeah. you know, from afar don't look like much. You look real close at that orange skin in between the scales and stuff, and you you gives you a much better appreciation for them, and. You know, it's the same with a with a lot of species. even normal corns, like my normal corns. I don't know what like I love those. They're just and part of it's the the natural beauty and knowing that, you know, they're right here in my own backyard. But seeing this the ones with like the really thick borders on the saddles and stuff like that, you know, it's just a lot of that stuff kind of gets slept on, I think. <clears throat> yeah, I think that I didn't realize how amazing beards were until we saw them in person at a friend's, you know, collection. And then I realized, oh, that's what Justin's talking about. Got it. <laughs> and then even Fuscus, I thought they were really cool. But, uh, you know, being at Mark's place and seeing his collection a handful of times, um, he's got Fuscus. And they're just pictures don't do them justice. They don't. Their scales are way different. Um, they're unlike any of the other Liasses, in my opinion. I think they're really awesome. I think they hold their own. Yeah. I don't uh, – I recently found out that my babies, the breeder that bred them, has – two pairs of adults so i don't know which pairing that I, apparently they're all queenslands and he flip-flops parents every other year so okay. i don't know which like clutch they were from i don't know if they were clutch mates or not they're both both of them are 2020s but it's crazy because the girl has the traditional like, canary yellow belly but the boy is peach like a legit pinky peach like mango no, no, like a, like an actual like sunset peach, like a like a tequila Ooh. sunrise drink. Yeah, and I'm just eager to see what that turns into. You know, if he does, he loses it and turns yellow, or if it keeps the peach. So it's going to be a fun ride. They're going to eat me yeah. out of house and home. <laughs> I think I think with Liasses too. I mean, they they change so much from you know fresh babies all the way up to into adulthood. Yeah, yeah. like looking at looking at Billy's Max. Billy has yeah. uh, multiple different pairs of Macs and they're all different looking. Like you can tell they're all Maclets, but like 
just the there's there's tan there's charcoal there's like a slate gray and then all the flecking is totally different there it's awesome and then there's that, that velvety aspect to them like i've talked about with oh yeah ones. oh yeah like the small it's not only velvet. just seeing them in person but actually like holding them and, and handling them you know i'm sure it's the same with the timors when you got those like i was like oh these things God. are actually pretty freaking dope i gotta be honest this whole time i was at billy's giving him the timors excuse me lesser sundas um <laughs> We're, we're bringing back Lesser Sunday, everybody. They don't live on Timor Island, okay? Um, giving it to him, I, I kind of was like, they're not He's yours. taking the cup and you're like holding on to it and not letting go. Well, yeah, kind of, because this is what I did. I, I had set them up in Rubbermaids or, or Sterilites, excuse me, gasket Sterilites. And like, I gave Billy everything except for my black plastic high caves, because those are an arm and leg to find, and the ceramic water dish that. You know, he could have a million different ceramic orders, but I gave the human hide that I made for them. I gave the, the hide tubes and stuff. I left the paper towels in there. I left a little poo on the bottom so it still smelled like them. And then when I deli cupped them for the for the drive over, I left each animal in their respective tub in the deli cup so that he didn't mix up the tubs on accident, you know? Yeah. Because I kept telling myself the whole time I'm like in his living room and I'm like, they're not yours. They're not yours. Don't get attached. They're not yours. You know, it's so hard, man, because they're such an amazing animal. They're cool. I, Billy sent me pictures, and I was like, oh, you motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. And, like, they're awesome. they're, they are so their own thing. You know, and everyone makes the joke. It's like, oh, it's the, it's the evolutionary gap between, you know, lysis and retics. And it's like, yeah, it totally is. Like, watching them, like, do math problems in their head, or at least that's what I'm envisioning, it, every night like they're just they're super cool man i can't wait for billy to do some work with them so that we can all get babies come on billy come on billy it'll probably be another six years so it'll be worth it there's a lot of people working with team wars i think right now so i think lesser sundays. yeah lesser sundays pythons sorry seems to me that those <laughs> those in particular seem very cyclical like they go through phases of popularity where like for a while, you know, a year or two, a lot of people have them and then they'll kind of trickle off a little bit and then they'll pick back up a few years later. I agree. Yeah. I feel yeah. like these last two years though, they've gained a lot in popularity. Their price tag has shown. Mm-hmm. I mean, I even, even Macklets like, yeah, Macklets. But see, yeah. I feel like not to, not to lump, you know, uh, uh, the lesser Sundas in with, other liasis, but I feel like the lesser sundas are to liasis is how Malukan scrubs are to the, uh, the rest of the scrubs. Like they're the unique looking niche mm-hmm. on the side species in that group, and only certain individuals are really keeping them, whether it be because of rarity or price tag or whatever. But I feel like more people are getting into them, and then we're all going to get Malukans hopefully soon, and we'll all get lesser sundas soon. And, you know, spread the wealth. That would be nice. We need more Duns. We need more Malukans. We need more lesser Sundays pythons. Yes, all yes. of them. All of them. Yeah. What's the What's the list of stuff you guys are keeping right now? Um, all right, off the top start. of your head. Oh no, we made list. Oh, I, mean, I had to write it down. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I forgot. <laughs> we literally before we're like, shit. What do we keep? <laughs> so. We got, of course, ball pythons, which makes up a majority of the collection. Um, we have, of course, a bunch of liasses, olives, max, duns. 
Um, of course, our Demerals love them. The green anacondas, which we are sadly parting away with this weekend. Going to miss them. And then we have a decent group of Brazilian rainbow boas, um, a pair of Boyega, a pair of Everglades rats. Love those guys. Hey. Um, hey. Bread Lee, not Bread Lie. Got those. Uh, blood pythons, some IJs, coastals, Darwins, uh, Candoya, both white lips. Uh, we got a decent group of the northerns and then just a pair of the southerns. And then I'm not even going to try to say their scientific name because it's changed so much. Yeah, um, we got a lone female Woma, so hopefully going to add a male soon. Nice. And then uh, the scrubs. So. Wait, wait, wait. You forgot one. Oh, um, soon to have our Apodora female once the weather gets good from Harvard. Nice. I'm so nice. excited. <laughs> yeah. You want to talk about favorite species? It's either the Duns or it's Apodora. So um, interacting them with uh, interacting with them at Mark's house was just, I don't know, it changed my perspective on a lot. They're so strong in their so That's what I've heard is there's just straight muscle. Yeah. And that Nothing face else. so different from anything else. I was my favorite. My favorite are still the Waminas. Uh, Bonnie and Clyde are our little Wamina scrubs. Oh, they're just the cutest. <laughs> I remember you guys had that like unboxing video in the front seat of your car, and yeah. like you just had it in your lap, and I was like, "Look at how friggin' happy this girl is." Oh, <laughs> like she does not like diamonds. She likes Waminas. I literally was just about to say. I was like, I was like, forget the diamonds. Look at her hold that baby python. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We got an unrelated pair from the female from Nick Mutton and then the male from Ryan Young. Mm -hmm. And so I'm so glad that they, you know, sold them to us because they're amazing snakes. They're That's so cool. chill. You hear about how defensive scrub pythons are. These not yeah. even close. Don't I don't know about you, you Justin, but <laughs> ours yeah. are super awesome. <laughs> they're, they're incredible to work with. Like just – just watching them, watching their behaviors, like watching them, like to your point, Phil, like just watching them do those math problems in their head. Like they're very interesting. They're, they're so, they're just, they have such a better, I think, understanding of, of the world around them than we give yeah. them credit for. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Those really head scales, that, that bright yeah. pink tongue. Yeah. <laughs> I Love really it. wish that we were able to do like more research on them, just, just in their behavior in captivity, because they're just so fascinating. You know, and that's like, another one with the level of iridescence. Like I look at my yeah. my tannin bar dude, and it's like anywhere he's in the cage, the light is bouncing off of him, and he's just a rainbow. It's like holy crap! Oh yeah, especially yeah. after he sheds. Oh yeah. So now, <clears throat> excuse me, your abador that you're getting, you you've been working with your animal or no? No. Um. So Harlan, of course, has this female. She's long term captive now. He's had her for a while. Um. And so we're now we're just waiting on the weather, but um, he's he's you know sent a pictures with her and his son, so I know she, the demeanor is definitely probably going to be calm. I mean, any apodora I've held or handled has been calm. I've only worked seen three of them, so it's a very limited pool. But yeah, uh, from what I hear, they're pretty awesome and chill. Yeah, you're gonna come home from work. Your girl's gonna be sitting on the couch petting it like it's a bichon. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this is this is what I see every day when I walk in the snake room in the morning. This little little tan bar face. 
Yeah, that's exactly it. Like it's it's every he has his little spot in the corner when he's not in his hide. He's hanging out in that corner. His little face is just peeking right over the edge. Oh my gosh, and it's that's like hilarious. With, it's like with our anaconda Nikki. She's in her pond every day, ninety five percent of the time, and she has her head sticking barely out of underneath the water. Just waiting, like, yeah, I dare you to open up that cage. Come on. Yeah, right. Put your hand the in closest there. point to the door. So when you open it, like she could she's just right there, like waiting for a meal. And it just cracks me up every time. I'm like, I don't have anything for you. <laughs> Not today. Not this That's month. cool. So what is how long have you been doing the rainbows? Um, we're still pretty new into that, actually. So we Are got they all, a uh, they're all Brazilian. Yes. Yeah, all Brazilian. That's we like Brazilians. The Peruvians are really cool, but we decided to stick with the Brazilians. Um, we have an adult pair, um, cool. and then we have, I think it is two younger females that are about two or three years old. Um, we got a pair from Riley. Um, we have one male from his last litter. He's so pretty, nice. but um, yeah, oh, it's a pretty decent group. So. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, man. That was my first bow. Uh, I have a special place in my heart for Brazilians. I actually have a Brazilian that's not been colored in tattooed on my leg. <laughs> nice. I blame Riley for our Brazilian, my Brazilian addiction, at least. He did a lot of justice for them on YouTube. So pretty cool. Cool, man. That's awesome. I had one many, many years ago. That was pretty, pretty cool. I don't, I don't know. It was, I didn't trust it. I don't trust Riley, the female we got from Riley. She uh, will 100% bite me 100% of the time. <laughs> 100%. But uh, the male's really chill. Most of she's our like ones a, are. She's like a little land shark. So we have her We have her in our enclosure, right? And she has a rugby chip, sphagnum moss, whatever. And, like, you won't see her on the surface of the ground. She will be hiding, just like the demands. <laughs> They will hide under that, under the, the cocoa husk, rupti chip, whatever. And then they'll just have just their head poking out of the bottom, waiting for you to make a move. And then they just, they tag you and wrap and you're done. And it's, it's <laughs> such interesting behavior that you don't necessarily get from, you know, some, some people who keep them on like just paper or, or paper towels or, you know, or Aspen or whatever have you. Um, I think it's really interesting to, to see that, that kind of, I don't want to say like predatory mode, but that, that yeah, the, the ambush. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the ambush. Yeah. yeah. I was, a, there was a whole big thing a few years back of uh, somebody was in Peru studying Br Brazilian, quote unquote, Brazilian rainbows in Peru and uh, saying how they act just like anacondas where they'll sit on the surface of the water underneath the pond scum. Oh. And just and just wait for something to just fly by or swim by and just launch out of the pond scum. Yep. Wow. So, I know well, a lot of people that will keep them with a big water dish for them to you know soak in and mm -hmm. they hang out a lot of the time in the water. From what they yeah. say, so I want to do that eventually with ours, but we just haven't yet. Yeah, it's awesome. Makes you wonder if they've been kept more arboreal than we think they are. Yeah, yeah. I always associate him as as more of a like an ar a semi arboreal. Spends a decent amount of time off the ground. You know, spends a good amount of time on the ground. But I think it's also a lot like um, like king cobras, where babies are going to get off the ground because mm -hmm. they're easy target. But then once it's heavier bodied, you know, those little saplings don't hold up so well. So they've kind of figured, you know what? I'll just stay in the leaf litter. I'll stay in the pond scum. Whatever. I think it will constantly change. You know, I bet they, whatever they're successful in, 
they're probably yeah. going to stick to that for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's like even there's a paper on Demerol's boas that um, I can't remember who it was, but they found Demerol's doing the same thing anacondas do right on the edge of the water with their head sticking out, waiting for some kind of mammal to come to the water's edge and get water. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot more animals that do that probably than we think. What's it been like having the greens? Oh, incredible. Their natural behavior of watching them, you know, just how they interact like with Nikki and she's in a larger enclosure with it's eight foot with a 55 gallon pond and 95% of the time she's in the water. Um, they're unlike any other snake that we have. Absolutely love them. The, you know, they're, they're big snakes. So, and they're strong and their scales are way different than anything else. Mm-hmm. But if you can't provide a large enclosure with a large water area for them, I don't think you should keep them as a pet. That's just my opinion. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Cause they're very, they're, they're large, right? They're large species. They're very, they're, they can be very calm or they can be very not calm. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that a lot of people don't keep them in the right manner that they should, but just like in everything else, it's, it's the standard, right? Is to keep everything sterile, keep everything clean, keep everything on paper. One water dish, couple hides, good to go, no enrichment. And when we when we switched with with Nikki, when we got Nikki, um, she was previously kept in, in subpar conditions. We got her into that enclosure, and you could really see her personality come out, and really see some of that natural behavior come out, which is really cool to see coming from kind of a uh, an area in her in her lifetime where she wasn't able to experience that. She was mm-hmm. just living, but not enjoying it. If that makes sense. Yeah. When, when we got her, she, I knew I interacted with Nikki for two years and tried to get the person we got her from to sell her to me for two years and unsuccessful, but she, they kept her at, I think she was like nine feet at the time in a 55 or 50 gallon tank, glass tank with a large tub of full of water. And Ugh. it was, it was, she deserved so much better. And finally, you know, we were able to give that to her and uh, we got her and worked with her. Honestly, I think everybody should do that for their anacondas. Even I think most snakes deserve to have a large water dish where they can actually have that kind of behavior available to them to use. Yeah. I had larger snakes in general, you know, the, your, your berms, your retics, you know, even your bigger scrubs. I feel like those, those for the people that aren't as serious about them as, you know, the people that breed them regularly, um, they don't, they like people are aware that they need a ton of space, but they, you know, because it works, you know, yeah. they keep them in something smaller. I think yeah. just because you can doesn't mean you should. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, you look at like Smitty in Australia. He's got what is it? I think it's King Horn Eye, and he's got it in like a twenty by twelve enclosure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's outside, and he has the ability to do it outside. But the snake is only. I think it's only like 10 or 11 foot, but the cage is massive because that's what it needs. You know? yeah. yep. And I think you can kind of dictate it on the, like, obviously the way you keep a, you know, a, a massive five foot blood python isn't going to be the same way you keep like a, like a big scrub. You know, those are two different animals. They got to use like, utilize that space differently. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like retakes and berms and stuff to keep them in. Yeah. We see it all the time. You know, the Craigslist style of, you know, an aquarium where it's 
smashed in on both sides with a water wall at one end. You know, it's 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 disappointing because you know that that snake, if you if it if it was given the right amount of space, it would probably be all over the place and and taking advantage of the the opportunity to to be able to move around and yeah know, choose, choose its spot. I think that so, certain species like Kribos, don't they move around? You know, mm -hmm. miles and miles and miles when during oh, breeding yeah. seasons. I think certain things like that just they deserve bigger space. Yeah. Can they be kept in smaller? Yeah, but I just don't think. I mean, I don't know how much calories they're burning by doing that, and then you know we're just keeping them almost fat, keeping them in a small enclosure where they're back and forth, and that's it. Yeah. But I say that and we keep ball pythons in tubs, so I don't know. It's different animals, you know. Yeah. The uh, so now you sold all the anacondas. You just sold your large one. Um, we sold all of them. Uh, of course, everybody just wanted Nikki or a big female. Yeah. Um, she's the nicest bad. one, the sweetheart. But uh, you know, we sold her with her enclosure and the two males. Um, we have a younger male. He's because Nikki, she's about eight years old, and then our male's about twelve. Um, and then our younger male is about two and a half ish from uh, Megan Kelly. So we sold them as a group to a local person that uh, he has experience with, you know, bigger snakes like retakes and stuff like that. So we're pretty confident that they'll be good in his hands. Cool. So Excellent. I think it was the Riverbank Zoo up in Columbia that has, might've been Jacksonville. I don't know, but one of them had a, had a really decent sized anaconda and it was like, how often do you even feed something that big? It's gotta be like once every quarter don't feed it like Brian Barczyk. <laughs> I am 100% honest. He, that is one of the most overfed anacondas I've ever seen. Yeah. He's always posting feeding videos. I like Brian Barczyk. I like his videos, but, you know, some of them. But um, I think uh, anacondas, they, they're shown to be fasting for long, extended periods of time. Mm -hmm. There's a green anaconda in one of the groups that somebody has where she, the female has been without food for three years and two months. Wow. That's insane. That's, she's only lost 30 pounds. Wow. Um, Which, I mean, when you're talking about a big snake, that's not a lot. No. Yeah, exactly. And so I know he said previously she went off feed for two years and then fed, you know, ravishly for six months and then stopped now for the three months. Can you but, imagine uh, having think, not fed something for two years? And being like, yeah, crazy. that's just the way it is. I mean, I, I, my bigger stuff, I feed once a month and it's even yep, then. That's, that's kind of what we do. Fine. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. But uh, I think Jesus said that they, you know, females would fast for months, like nine months or so. Mm -hmm. So it's just, I and think that's, we, that's just the seasonality thing with food. I, I think seasonality, you know, if they're gravid, you know, mm -hmm. like gravid females would be, you know, basking in the sun more often. So they're probably not going to be out near the water's edge getting food type thing, more exposed. So I'm not sure, but I think, you know, fasting our animals is definitely something that we as keepers should be doing. And I think the snakes that we keep should not just eat every Friday night at 7 p.m. Yeah. Um, There's such a stigma with that. Like, oh, if you're not feeding your animal, you're starving it. Like, that's not necessarily true with reptiles. You know, it's not a dog yeah. or a cat that you should probably feed twice a day. You know, and, and I see that a lot with like the ball python community, you know, everyone's everyone thinks that ball pythons are the perfect first animal to get. And I'm like, are they, though? Because like you do run into those. Um, I don't want to say feeding issues, but it's a very common thing to happen 
where, where an animal goes off feed because it's not in the right conditions, right? And people are freaking out because it hasn't eaten in, in two weeks. They're like, oh, I don't mm-hmm. know what to do. I take it to a vet. And I'm like, no, like it's change the environment and you will see the results that you want to see. If you continue to keep it in this, in the, in the aspect that it is, and it's not eating, then there's something wrong. And I, I don't know what it is. If it's like an ego thing, people think that, oh, everything's perfect. Everything's all right. I have it in my, in my 10 gallon tank and it has the two hides in the water dish and it should be eating and it's not. And it's like, well, look at the things that you're doing with that animal. That animal's telling you, hey, something's not okay here. Please fix it. And people just don't, don't make that correlation. And I don't understand why. <laughs> I think it has a lot to do with uh, some of the pet shops too, because yeah, that's let's true. say uh, 99% of the time, you know, a uh, parent wants to bring their kid in to get their first pet. They want a snake, they want a beard dragon, they want a leopard gecko, whatever. And they, they buy everything they need, right? A starter setup, what have you. And they get a care sheet, right? And the care sheet, let's just say it's a ball python. The care sheet says, okay, well, we feed our animals every Thursday, so give it a couple days for the animal to settle in, and then the following Thursday, you know, feed it the desired prey item. And no one told them, hey, once they're not a baby anymore, yeah, you slow can down, <laughs> variability, you know, and then it's like, hey, they come in and they say, all right, I have a, a five-foot red tail boa. Uh, should I get a medium rat? Should I get a small rat? And they go, well, how, you know, how big is the head? How big is the body? Oh, that could take a large rat. Well, it's like, yeah, but just because it can take a large rat doesn't mean it should have one every Thursday. Exactly. You know, so, and then it goes back to some of those species that they don't know when the next meal is. So they're going to eat every chance they get. Andres. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I had, I, I didn't know that geckos could throw up a hairball, but I had a smooth knobtail throw up a bunch of undigested cricket parts because it was eating every single bug I gave it because it didn't know what it was going to eat again. And it was like, oh, I ate too much. Blah. So we had white lips. They'll throw hairballs up too. And that'll yeah. freak you out. Well, yeah. Well, that, that's different though. That's an actual hairball, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's, I don't know how they do it, but I've never seen them actually perform it. I've just found it in the enclosure. <laughs> it's gross. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Have you guys gotten a lot of messages about those? Because I know those have really risen in in demand and popularity um of course when people found out we were pairing our the southerns we're doing a breeding project with somebody that has an adult male Mm -hmm. um but everybody was you know wants wants an wants a baby and you know to be honest with you if if we get lucky it's not they're not an easy species to breed so i don't even know if we'll get eggs but even if we do we're going to keep them all anyways Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. Well, I've, right. I've heard Owen talk about him trying to pair his and stuff too. And I mean, I don't, what's like, what's, where's the, the disconnect with, with breeding those? Like, what is it about them that's so difficult? Is it just trying to figure out the timing? Is it temperature? I think, getting them a, I think it's established, okay. you know, and, you know, just having them long term in your kind of environment, as well as I've heard that they can be mate selective. Um, I think, and Ryan Young's had success with them probably more frequently than most people I know, but he just says, you know, make sure you put them in the right conditions, and if it's, they'll, they'll get the job done, basically. Yeah, some people cool them, some people feed to breed type thing. Uh, there's a couple different approaches. I know one of our friends that's local, he only saw one lock with his pair, 
and didn't think that they took, and then he got eight. So, right. yeah, I guess they can be secretive. So who knows? We're trying our best, but I mean, we've got a, got a lot of good behaviors out of them. They're cuddled up in their hide together uh, most of the time, but we have never seen a lock. So, and is one 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 type harder than the other? Like, are the it's northerns and southerns, right? Yeah, I don't know if. Ryan says that he doesn't know if they're one's harder than the other, but I know that Northerns probably have been bred more than Southerns, but I think both of them have been bred not frequently at all. So, yeah, because Northerns are more you'll see you see Northerns more in captivity than than you do than the the Southerns just because they're the availability. Um, right. Yeah, because the Northerns are the golds, more. right? Yeah, the yeah. golds. Yeah, the black and golds. So yeah, the golds are the Northerns. Or reds, apparently. Huh? Yeah, yeah, that one was nice, man. That was really nice, yeah. That thing was smoking. But the golds are really cool. And now there's apparently only two species of white lips, so golds and blacks. Yeah. I feel like that's going to be sort of the route that the, the Jance and I are going to go. Where I'm probably never going to see them lock. I'm just going to have to continue to introduce the male for a week at a time or, you know, whatever until it happens, you know. Yeah. That's what we so, do, and then we, we just separate to feed, and that goes great most of the time uh, until your feed mill wants to wrap up the mail, which happened a couple weeks ago. Yeah. But now they're pretty good. Are they the as dick as everyone says they are? I was going to say, everything, every, everything I've read, everyone talks about how they're just kind of unpleasant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, for the most part, our northerns are – we have some northerns that are really defensive and flighty. Um, they will musk like crazy um, and bite you. But the Southerns that we have, they're all pretty chill. But I think once they get to a certain size, they get more confidence and realize that, you know, you're not going to hurt them. But you will always have that individual's attitude. We have a big import female who is just a nightmare to work with. She's a Northern. Um, but we have, you know, our big Southern female and she's just a sweetheart. So, yeah, but it, she was not always like that. She, that's, that's still... Yeah. Within the last two years, she's mm-hmm. kind of calmed down. Yeah, they're very, they're a very reactive species. And I say that in, yeah. in the sense that like anything, so movement, smell, temperature, touch, like they will react in a negative way. And I think that's just that fight or flight instinct, right? Um, and I, I see that, you know, in, and I think that just goes with, with the territory. A lot of people have them, but they don't necessarily, they see this animal, they're like, oh, it's aggressive. And it's like, no, it's not though. It's, it's defending itself because there's mm-hmm. no what or, or what's happening. Um, and you need to work with that and you need to build that, that trust that animal. You need to have those positive interactions because one single bad interaction will set you back six months with an animal. And yep. they're, you know, like you don't see that with, with certain, uh, I would say with them in particular, it's, it's hard to gauge um, that kind of behavior, uh, especially like as you're progressing, but one little thing and you'll set, you'll be set back. And, and I've seen that previously, uh, with our original, uh, 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 black, uh, Southern male that we had, he was, he was very, very reactive compared to the female. And I was working with them, working with them. And we were good by like year two. I had them, I could just go into his cage, pull them out. Everything was golden. Uh, one day the cat had walked into the room and then walked out within that instant, 
he turned on me and bit me in the arm and I was like, okay, well, we're done. <laughs> and, he was not, and then right after that, every day after that, every time I went back in, he would just immediately bite me. Um, so just hmm. that one, one, I don't a lick of cat hair or smell or whatever had, had kicked him, you know, into high gear and was like, this isn't, I'm not cool with this. I don't know what's happening anymore. I don't like this experience. And then we had to go back and do everything again. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. It, it but I mean, crazy. they have their own behavior. Like our female, she's yeah. completely calm and chill. But if you put her back in her enclosure, she'll start, once her tail is just left out, she starts flicking it around trying to musk on you. It's like, <laughs> you were fine the entire time you were out. But now that I'm putting you back in, you want to pee on me? Got it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is it a case of like working with them you know, when you're doing anything and you're having to take them out, just being very sort of slow and calm and Fast taking your and time confident. with them. Fast and confident. Cause I yeah. find with the, like with the Jansen, I, it's a good example. Uh, if I'm, if I'm slow in working with them and moving them and I'm not, you know, trying to be quick or force them or anything like that, they're fine. But the moment you start getting a little rough with them, that's when they, they flip the switch and that's when it's time to, for them to try and take off. And I found that, and Phil's probably going to say this is you know, ridiculous, but like talking to Cody about working with the black mamas, you know, his mamas, he's like, if you're slow with them and you're, you know, you're not rough with them, they're, they're fine. He's like, but the moment you start dicking around with them like that, that's when it, it goes downhill. And I found that the Jansen and I are, are very similar that way. Like my female's fine. If I, if I'm just gentle with her, you know, but, you start doing anything, banging around, moving quick. Like yeah. they're very visual, you know, and it, it's, it's on at that point. I would say that the white lips are different in the aspect that um, if we go in slow, I find them to be more reactive and defensive. Um, if we go in fast and confident and get them out, there are, um, they don't have that much time to think and be like, Oh, what's happening and freak out on us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But they also do not like the hook. I find. Um, but what we do a lot with them is just, you know, give, being a treadmill with them. And that's kind of what calms them down a lot. Tire them out a little bit, you know, make them realize you're not going to run away from me because, and I'm not going to try to eat you. And yeah. after that, they calm down a lot. I think too, with that is, is new stimuli, right? Uh, if you're constantly bringing them out in your room, they're going to, they're going to create a certain behavior. Um, mm -hmm. but if you take them out and then bring them outside right? The sight smells everything that kind of confuses them as well. I wouldn't say confuses, but it, it, it intrigues them in a different sense. So their, their focus is on everything else instead of you. Um, and we found that when we work with them outside, that's probably the best time to do it is work with them outside because then you're, you're building that trust. You're building that confidence in your own, not only yourself, but with that animal and you're building that trust. And I mm -hmm. think that's really important with that species in particular, because like I said, like it, one little thing and it, and all that work that you've been doing can, yeah. can be switched back. And Plus they're pretty outside, super iridescent. Yeah, so. yeah super I was going to say. Outside, and I love to scare the neighbors. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that's why we bring Nikki out up front. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think uh, you guys are hit the nail on, on all the heads because I can tell you just in my own collection, I've got stuff that, you have to be super relaxed and calm and chill and everything will go perfectly fine. And then I've got other stuff like that baby Jag I got from Billy. 
if I go in there with a hook or with my hand, I start to be all nicey-nicey and start to try and put my fingers underneath it and scoop him up, he's going to try and rip my face off. But if I literally just reach in there and just grab him like a billiard ball and hold him in my hand, then he's like, oh, you got me. And then it's, just, it's, it's a chill carpet, you know? Yeah, so the Jance and I don't play that game, man. The Jance and I, they're very, yeah. they're very like impulsive in terms of reaction. Like it's, oh, sure. it's very like run, like it's fight or flight instantaneously. Well, there is well, no, like, I'm going to contemplate it for a minute. It's a, no, I'm either going to run or I'm going to bite you yeah. or both. Now, have you, have you actually played with them? Like, like you would a, a pet snake or no? Yeah. Female and- bit me on the freaking forearm. Did it, was there any, and this is something I'll ask Jeff the same thing with Eliasis. Have you ever noticed that arm hair will set them off? Oh, yeah, 100%. No, 100%. And I, I think so. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because I've, I've got the, 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 I've got carpets that do it the worst. Is like, I will take that animal out. Everything will be chill and calm. And the minute it like grazes my arm hair, wham, it just starts to flare around like a fish and start freaking out. And I've got several different species that'll do that, you know? So a lot of times I'll just stick them right on my arm. So they're already touching, you know, the hairs are already touching them. And then that kind of like breaks up a little bit, almost like when I said, I just grab them like billiard ball, grab the billiard ball, same concept. But again, it's, it's type of animal and individual animal specific. So I think the biggest thing you said is individual. You got to pay attention to your animals. Every animal is going to be different. I mean, our, we have the olive pythons and our female is calm and chill. The male no, is a nightmare. No, that's not he will, true. The male <laughs> is <laughs> he. Uh, he will always if he sees your arm and at hand. I mean, he's not going to be very defensive and go at you and chase after you. But if he sees your arm, he's going to bite it. And that's just, that's just how he is. You open up his tub, and you have to open it with a hook because I mean, he bit me in my shorts very close to something they should not have been close to. <laughs> um, I was very lucky, but and when we opened up his, the box when we got him. He bit Kendra in the face. Nice. So oh, that's just geez. that's just his personality. Yeah. Like, um, it, it was such a calm that. bite too. He was like, "Oh, this is cool. I'm crawling up your arm." And then, like, I blinked, and he was like, "No, that's not okay with me." <laughs> and then just like, yeah. wham, hit me in the chin. I was like, "Okay, well, we're done now." Like, he, we kind of expected Steve, that. He's Steve Irwin. From, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we got him from uh, Ryan McVega had them originally, and uh, he told us he's like. Do not hold any other snakes before this. The male is, you know, kind of crazy. And so we kind of had a brief idea of what to expect, but yeah. he still has never changed. I think upgrading equipment is a very big thing that people should focus on in the hobby as well. I think we did that more this year than we did the previous year. Nice. And that's, it's, it's made me feel a whole lot better about how we keep our animals overall. Maybe I'll, go even a, I'll, I'll go even a step further and say – before you even buy something thinking down the road, how much space is this going to need in three years? That's usually yeah. what kind of deters me from getting more stuff, especially if it's something that does need more space, kind of like the, um, you know, like Boyga are a good example. Like those, when they get bigger, they, I, I would prefer to give them something larger cage wise than the bare minimum. Um, yeah. And so kind of thinking down the road, especially when you're getting, you know, bigger animals, multiple animals thinking, what am I going to need in the next three years in terms of cages or racks? And, you know, it was like, is kind of adding that into the cost of the animal too, you know, long-term just kind of keeping that in consideration. And I feel like we've all, we've all done it, you know, bought a snake and we're like, yeah, I'll figure that out when we'll cross that bridge when we come to it kind of thing. Yeah. uh, But I try to get better now about like, 
am I going to have the space in the next three years? Do I think I'll have the space? Um, you know, will I have funds and stuff on hand ready when it's time? Uh, you know, it's just so much more to it than kind of just buying the animal in my opinion. You know, just got to look down. I also think to be on a, a whole selfish note, seeing the animal in a more naturalistic you know, environment and seeing more natural behaviors is so rewarding. Of course. You know, I think not only to the animal, but to me as a keeper, having yeah. nice lights in the, you know, in there, you know, different, like what we're trying to do is, you know, try to add slowly start trying to add UVB to our snakes just because I've, you know, I've heard there's some benefits to it right. and we want to see how the animals act with it. Yeah. And we, we've talked about before where, we love our animals and we, we want to give them the best enclosure possible. But at the same time, it's okay for us to augment that aesthetically because we like to have that window into that ecosystem. You know what I mean? Yeah. So many people have art in their homes. We all have art in our homes or, or decor to some degree, but that's its own unique style of decor because it's a living thing that we get to interact with. Um, now I will say this too, is I'm, I'm always thinking like, okay, this is knee jerk. I'm going to buy this species just because again, strike when the iron's hot, but how long before I need to upgrade the caging, you know, do, do I start saving now, whatever. Mm -hmm. And then I, I made like mistake, like with the Fuscus is I knew what I was getting into, but I didn't expect them to grow as quick as they did. <laughs> and I, I am they not, I'm not power feeding them. Like I'm just, I'm, I'm actually keeping them rather lean and they're growing quick. So I'm probably going to have to upgrade the caging. I'm realistically a year ahead of schedule just because I don't want them to be shoved in a little thing. You know, doesn't matter if they live in the hide cave 90% of the day, they need to have the space. So same with our duns. They're like skyrocketing in size. Oh yeah. It's just, it's nuts. And we, you know, we don't feed them every week. Sometimes we skip a week just because yeah. we don't want them to get too big, too sure. fast. Yeah. Or no rush on this, and they still just—they just grow so so quick. Yeah. Now yours are yours are clutch mates or no? Yeah, ours are clutch mates. Um, okay. I do want to get another pair of unrelated ones. I mean, I think that there's enough as far as different duns that are breeding that it's possible right. um, for us to get an unrelated pair, and that's ideally what I, we would like to do. But um, if anything it's one generation. So it's not that terrible. Yeah. Well, I wasn't even going to ask that. I was going to say is, are they, because they're getting fed in a relatively the same cycle, are they shedding in the same cycle? Are they growing in the same cycle or no? Yeah. They, no. they yeah. They shed in everything the same time. Roughly. I would say maybe a day or so apart sometimes. Okay. Yeah. Cause I think like my waters are probably about two weeks apart, maybe three weeks apart in shedding but they are eating the same. And I think that's because I got the male first and then got the female like two and a half, three months later. And I think in that time frame, I think the female was just fed more and just got sped up a little more. So I, that, I think that attributes to her always being ahead in terms of growth in the male, but who knows, man, could just be individual animals, you know? Yeah. And I think, you know, with the male, the males are actually bigger than the females as far as duns go. Um, so I think we'll see once they get a little bit older, who's going to take off as far as size goes. Yeah. But right now they're rel relatively on the same track. Yeah. Yeah. I know. They both have the same feeding response. They're both very hungry all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's good. That's good. 
the uh, I was just talking to Henry, and uh, he's looking at upgrading Mango's cage ahead of schedule, and he's looking at you know I think like ten by six by eight or whatever, and uh, you know having it having to have it built. So aside from us thinking about okay, I'm going to upgrade to a five foot or I'm going to upgrade to a six foot enclosure, no, he's legit having to have designers fabricate him a legitimate enclosure. Um, and then he's looking at a couple other species down the line where he's mapping out and, and pencil drawing these enclosures with like running, like a running Creek bed and like, you know, filtration systems underneath the tank. And this is not a fish tank. This is a snake. So I think there's, there's levels to it that people go a little bit over the top, but that at the same time, it kind of gives me inspiration. And, and like Justin and I were talking about last week, you know, your dream, chill room your your man cave if you will not to you know be sexist so she shed the she shed yeah um what uh what what our dream enclosures look like and most of them are very much within our grasp it's just taking the time and the thought to map it all out no it's having a room that we can smoke in 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 our houses no (laughs) okay uh mango is uh king cobra right Yeah, yeah he's king cobra yeah I think it, I forgot who just had it, like a ten foot enclosure built by Chris Foley. Was it Eric Vogel? Was his name? Maybe. Maybe. Was, yeah, yeah really Vogel's nice got a lot. Of, he's got a lot of big cages, so wouldn't yeah. shock me. That was a really nice little setup to see. Yeah. But I think it's a note we can take from you know, like we all say, the aquarium hobby, where they spend not a lot of money on the animals, but thousands of dollars on these on the setups and maintenance, yeah, or whatever. Um. Well, I'm also coming to the. Go ahead. Sorry. No, you're fine. Go ahead. I'm I'm sort of having put the like my scrub. He's on puppy pads, but he also has two pothos and a philodendron species in his setup, just potted in just in pots. You know, not even planted or anything like that. And for a while, I had pothos clippings in the water bowls with my chondros but I found that those didn't really grow all that well, especially when it was just a single leaf and stem. Um, But just, I mean, the ambient humidity that those things, they really bump that up a lot and, and they look good too. I mean, it's, yeah, it's a pothos. It doesn't look, but I'm I'm realizing that you can kind of have the best of both worlds where it's like, you can have the natural element, but it's still on paper towel, you know? Yeah. It may not look as fancy as a full blown naturalistic setup, but it does help, you know, it has benefits. Um, I think, you know, the snakes appreciate the cover, the, the pothos and that scrub setup are just absolutely exploding. It's unbelievable. And I got a, a decent size one from Walmart for eight bucks, nine bucks, you know, and I could easily split that in half and have two plants. Um, so that's something I'm, I'm definitely wanting to do more of um, in the coming weeks is, is get more pothos and get them in the, you know, the Jansen I set up and the Boiga set up. And, um, it's just because I know that those those are species that'll appreciate it. You know that that extra humidity definitely won't hurt anything. Um, and they look, you know, they look nice, especially when they get bushy and really fill out. I think you know those more naturalistic enclosures are definitely very appealing. I mean, we're going to do something similar. I don't know how many tanks that Kendra has in her office that we're going to try to do some more naturalistic, bioactive kind of setups. Um, right now, I think we only have the leopard geckos in there, but um, everyone needs I, a kitchen gecko. Ex- I think so. I agree, hundred percent. See, I have, I have a full pets, office, but... like right to the left of me. I have I have at least 
four or five. I could probably fit another three or four on metal racks that we set up in here because I knew I was going to be working from home because of the pandemic and everything. And I was like, well, I'm in here every single day working. I might as well, you know, have something else in here that I can also enjoy. And that can be kind of my little oasis away from work while being at work. You know what I mean? And I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to do this if I wasn't working from home. If, if this would not even be a concept, if, if I wasn't working from home, I just wouldn't have the time, but I'm right here a foot away. You know, I can water things. I can check on animals. I can, you know, feed things that need to be daily fed. Um, so I don't know. That's like one of the plus sides of, of working from home is having that versatility of, I can keep now different species that I might not have kept before because, you know, they needed to be fed every other day or, you know, they need. Yeah. To be stuff you can't really leave over the weekend. Well, exactly. Yeah. 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 Stuff that you'd prefer to not leave over the weekend. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I had an office carpet at one point. Nice. At the where you work now. No, where uh, when I used to work in the magazine and marketing stuff, we had an office, and I I convinced my boss to to buy a carpet python to keep. <laughs> <laughs> what? That's a cool boss. Well, we 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 had like a pet and animal magazine at the time, and we were doing like events and stuff. And I, my boss was like, "You should bring some of your snakes to some of these events." I'm like, mm, "We can buy one and have yeah. it here." And I found a it was like a head albino. Darwin Cross or something, and he was cool, man. He just he hung out in the office, and you know, I I don't think we actually ever ended up doing any events after we got him. So he was just kind of there. <laughs> now he's living up in, uh, I believe, Wisconsin somewhere with my buddy Joel. It was his first carpet. Nice. He awesome. posts pictures of him on Instagram all the time, and he's so big now. And I'm like, oh my god, Hobbs. <laughs> Not even mobs. Oh, I love that. I love seeing customers who who you know end up with an animal from us, and and they'll send us updates, and mm-hmm. we get to watch them grow. And oh my gosh, that's like the I think the best part of the community is like is seeing someone enjoy something that you also enjoy, and being able to share nice. that love with somebody. It's it's awesome. When they send you update pics and you wish you would have held that animal back. <laughs> Those right. I don't like. Those I don't like. Our, our <laughs> friend uh, Dan, he just he got one of our Demerals, uh, one of the females, and she just she's coloring up so nicely. But that's uh, also, I mean, I look at it, I look at it from the angle of that's also the best advertising. You know, oh, that's true. That's very true. Like oh, Bill, yeah. Bill Stegall talks about that. You know, he's he's like, I don't regret any any conjures I've sold because people are going to ask where it came from. You know. Yep. Oh yeah. That's oh, true. Yeah. But I do. I like. I am curious. I still every now and then I'll get a, an update of some of the crested that I sold, you know, years ago, and seeing how those have turned out. It's pretty cool. Nice. How's breeding season going for you guys right now? Non-existent. Re- now I was going to say it hasn't really kicked off yet. I have the corns put together. I have the adult beards together, but it's still. I think it's a little early. I haven't had sheds from either of those females yet. Um, all my younger ones have have shed. You know, they're all ready to go, but they're they're still a year too small. Um, so it hasn't really kicked off yet. I had the Jance and I together. I'm probably going to separate them tonight um, and then feed them this weekend and then put them back together sometime probably next week. But 
you know, with that female Condro dying, Condros are out of the picture for the next couple of years now. Um, so it's just Bairds and Corns right now, and the the Boiga. Which More that, Boiga. That second clutch is is going to hatch at the end of the month. Oof. Been waiting if you, since. If you like let any go, or keep us in mind. We want some. Yeah, you got your work cut out for you, Bubba. I know there's a line. <laughs> no. Uh, what about the Gila's? Oh, non-existent. Done. Yeah. The uh, the male <laughs> just just talking with Rob, and like him being the voice of reason. God bless him. Uh, he's telling me he's like, dude, he's not gonna kill her. Just leave him together. Do this, do that. And I'm like, all right, cool. And I do it. And I just sit back and I watch. And I'm like, this poor girl. <laughs> you know, you see the. You, you see the the older, more mature woman at the bar, and this young, eager, adolescent jerk just hitting on her left and right, and she's just paying him no mind. It's the same thing, except imagine that the guy, instead of buying her a drink, is biting her in the abdomen and blood everywhere. Oh, God. And it's like blood and venom, and she's biting back, and it's like you will I, love me, and you will like it. It's it's just it's not. I I had to stop. I chickened out. I, watch that. I, I chickened watch out, that. you know, and, and that's the thing is I know that he's doing what he's supposed to do, but the problem is, is that she's unreceptive and it's because I didn't cool them enough. I, they did not get cold enough for long enough time. And, uh, next year is going to be a better year. So the, uh, the mail went back to my buddy's house and, uh, I started feeding her, brought her back up to temp, so she's totally normal again. I actually, <clears throat> excuse me, I was trying to feed tree vipers last night, and uh, we're getting a cold snap coming through. We're getting some some nasty rain this weekend with a cold snap after that. So, like, none of the tree vipers are want to eat. They're all like, "Why are you putting this in my face?" You know, it's Christmas. What are you doing? Yeah. And that's and that's the worst too because they bite it like four or five times, and they put venom in that prey item like four or five times. It's frozen thought, but. You can watch that frozen thawed rat pink start to just, yeah, just disintegrate. <laughs> and it's like, I have to make sure that I remove that within like two hours if they oh, don't yeah. go after it. Because tomorrow it's just going to be liquid yeah, real goo. Good. Oh, yeah. That's awesome and disgusting at the same time. Yeah. So, uh, so I've got in that rack, I've got six animals. So after three refused, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to give all these rat pinks that didn't get eaten. I'm just going to feed her the Gila. So she, she got like four or five rat pinks last night. Any of the ones that didn't get envenomated, she got them. So uh, so I'm going to bring her back up to weight and everything else. And then uh, geckos, I was super strict this year about tapering food, timing it just right, slowly, gradual temperature drop. Like I was like on it. And then just – the beginning of January, I just got smacked with work and I was just like behind the ball the whole time. And I'm like, Oh my God, they got skinny. And I'm like, Oh yeah, I never brought them into spring. So, um, I just started bulking them back up and bringing my temperatures up. So I'm very, very behind in pairing geckos, but probably what's today. Today's the fourth. Um, yeah. yes. So I think next week, depending on how the girls look, I'm going to weigh them again. One girl's totally ready to go. The male's ready to go, but I got two other girls that might not be ready. So I'm going to see how they look and maybe end of the month, just start throwing geckos together and cross my fingers. So other than that, everything yeah. else I have yeah, right now is too small. Yeah. Yeah. 
all my other stuff is still small. I got a lot of growing up this 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 past couple of years. I bought a lot of baby stuff to grow up. So we'll see. I'm anxious Thanks. to try the cyania again. I when I originally paired them, it was in June, and I put the mail in there, and it we wasted no time. I mean, they were locked up damn near instantaneously. And so I'm wondering, I was originally planning to wait until June again, but I may try them a little earlier and see if anything happens. Because I'm curious. I've had some other people that have paired theirs together, and some of them had luck, some of them didn't. Um, so I'm interested to see if if June is kind of the time to, to put them together or if you can do it earlier. I think you can do it year-round if you put you know make the, the parameters right. But I don't know. He, he went right to it. So It's like our Demeros, the males... They just go right to it, and they're ready to go. All the business. I actually have uh, some of the uh, other stuff different. Oh, right. I have. Speaking of males, just getting to business. Uh, I've got a. I've got three baby girdle tails that are in like a hatchling EXO setup thing. It's probably like a, a twenty-five or thirty-gallon sized EXO, and uh, they're right at like the two-year mark now. And they started fighting a lot. And I'm like, man, I'm feeding the crap out of you. Why are you guys fighting? And then I realized... Hormones. They're yep. ready to rock and roll. Yeah, they're pissed off teenagers, so, man. Yeah, so now I'm debating... Because I don't even know what gender they are. Like, I've never I never sexed them because they're so tiny. Like, what's the point, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, I think this week, maybe this weekend, I'm going to take each one, get out my loop, and just examine each one's crotch and see what's what. And that way I can separate them because... Even though they're all healthy, I still think the girls are just too small to breed. I just feel like it would take way too much out of them, you know? So I have a feeling that that's what I'm going to be doing this weekend is individually separating all these freaking lizards. But it's cool to see that they're... Yeah, there's at least something you know, happening. Yeah, you know, something's happening. On the, right? on the track. Do. Yeah, still, yeah, still doing right. something right. <laughs> yeah. So, And then I got adults at my parents' house that I've been meaning to bring over for like a year. So I'll probably, I'll probably do that this weekend too, just because I'll be on that 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 mind track, you know. They're probably already attached to him, buddy. I don't think you're gonna get him back. My parents? Yeah. Oh, most <laughs> most definitely. Well, the worst was like three years ago. My dad sent me copulation pictures on his crappy LG cell phone, and I'm like, "What is that?" He goes, "Are they are they doing it?" He texts me. He says, "Are they doing it?" Question mark. And I was like, yes, they're doing it. And you're they're letting you photograph them? Like, I don't even have photographs of my adults doing it. He's like, I don't know. I just walked by and I saw two tails all twisted up. <laughs> so uh, that she never got gravid or anything. So I really think that with that particular animals, they, got to, they had to be a little older. But now would be like the time. It's been like two, three years since that happened. So I really think they bring them to my house and just getting that climate right. Because they're so climate dependent climate mm -hmm. piggy, um, yeah. that i could just set that thing on so we'll see what happens hey man cross my fingers for you thank you for a lizard that nobody wants <laughs> so as long as you enjoy them that's oh, yeah. the most important thing. that's right nobody wants bears okay. either and i got a million of them and i'm gonna make a million more that's true i'm gonna keep them all i don't, I don't care and, and like this species of cordillas i don't know anybody that's actually keeping them right now in the u.s and uh, I want to just make more of them, you know? There's some nerd out there somewhere that wants them. Yeah, Somebody's sure. going to want those, yeah. I'm sure. Who knows? Though? Maybe they'll become the next Bearded Dragons. I, I highly doubt that, but all right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a 16th size and not right. friendly. <laughs> exactly. 
That seems like something Frank Payne would be into. It wouldn't shock me if he has some species of smog or he has had some species of smog. I feel like now the, the guys and gals that are doing the smog, that's really all they're doing. You know, they maybe have a pet this or a pet that. But, yeah. like, there's a there's a girl in the Midwest, I can't remember her name for the life of me, who's got a bunch of Mozambicensis. And I'm pretty sure she has, like, 9.22 Mozambicensis. Jesus. And, like, all adults. It's, like, every single time one gets accidentally brought in, she just buys it. Um, and I know a couple other guys in the Midwest that are also doing it, but they don't have, they don't have her number. Um, but, dude, I, I've told you guys before, I couldn't get the damn things to stay alive, let alone breed. So she's obviously doing something right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but of all the animals that you two keep, regardless whether you have it or not, what's your favorite? Ooh, I'll start. Um, the Duns, hands down, 110%. Cool. Um, I saw that coming, only, by the way. Not only just because of how amazing they look, but they they're back you know the background their natural history how you know they came into the u.s hobby and almost we're not even in the u.s hobby for you know we got lucky that people were able to breed them and get them and their natural history the kind of secretive of that little island that's you know there's not much known about them and their behavior on that island and i think that's an aspect i like really like about them plus they're just they're so chill they're like a maclots and a savu but really calm and they look way different than all of them too, but I just, their, their eyes are amazing. Yeah. I don't know if there's a headshot that we got of our male and it's just like, wow. And your, uh, your specimens are different colors, right? Yeah. We got a, you know, they say that they have different phases, like the silver phase and like a reddish phase. Um, so I guess what we would have, are, you know, a silver phase male and a red phase female. They, cool. And then the female has a lot of freckling. The male has not much at all. So, Awesome. We'll see how they color up. The parents look nothing like the babies right now, so that's a toss-up. We'll see. Yeah. Oh, this is such a hard question. Well, um, you can break it down. Like you can have favorite because there's no rules on THP. No. Uh, you can have like <laughs> you can have like favorite snake, favorite lizard, favorite frog, or if you want, you can have like favorite python, favorite colubrid, whatever you know. Colubrid. Colubrid. Like that colubrid. Um, <laughs> nice. Nice. Uh, there you I go, like, girl. I would say that it's a toss up between in uh, the Boyd, so Demerals, uh, and then uh, within, I guess, I don't know, man. I want to say I want to say the scrubs. The scrubs are probably my number one now that we have them. I don't want to say like another species that I'd want because I, I don't I haven't experienced them or anything. Um, but having the scrubs is so fascinating. Like watching them, uh, like just climb a stick vertically, uh, watching them just move, watching them do anything. I think I'm just like a, I nerd out just watching them like do things and i don't know if that's it's like the same thing with jeff like anytime we talk about like the duns or i open their bins he's like oh oh you get the duns out oh can i can i spend an hour we're going over here <laughs> we have things to do babe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um but that's me when it comes to the scrubs and now when it comes to like a bigger bodied species definitely the demerals um 
by far probably my favorite like bigger species that we've kept besides obviously Nikki the green. Um, but working with the Demerals has been such a, such a cool thing to do. Um, just watching them grow, like watching also their natural behaviors, that ambush uh, predatory behavior in, in, uh, in their substrate and everything. Um, their calm demeanors, everything, like everything about them just to me is just appealing. Um, they have beautiful colors. Like, you know, like they're just a big brown snake, right? Like there's not, there's not a lot of color variations with these guys, but if you really look at them, like they all have different head stamps, the, the saddling, the, um, just their side marks, like even like their, their, their belly scales, um, that little white mark under their chin that I think we highlighted in one of our videos. Um, they're just such a unique species to work with. And I, I wish people really enjoyed them as much as we do, but, um, yeah, between it's it's a toss up between between them and the scrubs for sure. Yeah, I think that like the Dumerals is like the perfect big snake yes. because they're, they're big enough to be a quote unquote big snake, but they're not big enough that you need a second person per se. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. One might say they're the superior boa. One might say they are the superior boa. I don't want to get into that argument. I'm gonna. <laughs> <smile> <laughs> <out>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're amazing. There are two morphs that we, I wish we had in these states, though. But. I know. Oh. I Wait, morphs and tumorals? Yeah, so there's a Talaria morph or whatever, so it, it kind of changes the pattern to almost look like a Madagascar ground boa. Really? Um, yeah, but it's like super reduced. I am Googling. Yeah. Oh, it's it, it's they're beautiful. And then the the same guy is working with another one. Um, it's the albino. I think it's a T positive or negative. I don't know, but that one's really cool. Now, do those have the chin markings? I do not know. That's oh, yeah, a that's, that's a good question. Got to figure um, that I'll out. Talk to that breeder. But yeah. Oh wow, that does look like a ground boa. Yeah, it it got me. I commented on there and I was like, "That's a Madagascar ground boa," and they're like, "No." And then I looked more into it, and that guy's been working on that project for a few years, so. He Is he in the out. States? No, he's in uh, the UK. Interesting. And then I think the Demeros are CITES one, so you can't import them from any other country at all. Right. That so. that's why that's the rumor as to why they have that chin mark. Yeah, because they're all closely related. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, you, you've never had ground bows? No, I've n- no. Okay. They're too expensive for me. Say a buddy of mine had them that were I think they were produced by Dallas Zoo, and uh, I think he paid I think he paid twelve thousand for the pair back in like two thousand six, and uh, it was crazy because they just honestly looked like gigantic dumerals, but they had that unique lines in the side, the unique saddles, and then the chin was completely blank, no mar- no no birthmark, no nothing. It was crazy. So I think they're really cool, but I still. I still love my Demeros. I mean, they're affordable, you know, and they're just awesome. They're good pets. Yeah, they're great yeah. pets. I mean, I wouldn't say they that they're pets. necessarily affordable at this point uh, with with the market, the way that it kind of it skyrocketed fluctuates. Last, yeah, two years. Um, but they're very, they're, I mean, they're, I, I don't understand why people got out of them. Like, you know, there at one point we had, there was a ton of them being produced. And then the market kind of dipped and, and nobody was buying them because, and they were cheap. They were like under a hundred bucks. Yeah. And then all of a sudden everyone was like, well, 
why am I going to keep producing something that people aren't going to want? No one took an appreciation to it, I think, because other things took, you know, the foreground. And then Mexican black kings. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And And then all of a sudden it's like you have one person on YouTube who talks about them. And then all of a sudden, like, everyone wants one again and i'm like okay well <laughs> and that's just i don't know that's just how it happened there's so many swings in in the reptile industry anymore it's just like you never know one day like scrubs might be the next you know next thing that everybody wants and then their prices are just going to go through the roof and i don't know i'm not a marketing group guru but i mean do you guys have any ideas on on how that happens i mean I can tell you an idea as to how it happens. I don't necessarily, it, it comes down to people do something for, in my opinion, it comes down to people do something for so long and they're just like, you know what? I'm done with it. And all the people that were shopping it over the years or in, had intentions of buying it over the years, they're like, oh, you know, Puget Sound breeds them. So I'll, I'll buy them later. And then after 10 years, Puget Sound says, you know what? We're kind of done with them. It's time to move on to a different species, and no one has them, and no the one. Usually, responsibility them. kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. And that's yeah. what happened with the Mexican blacks. That's what happened. That's what happens with, you know, colubrids in the hobby in general. Yeah. Is that you know the '90s blossomed all this crazy colubrid action, and then the mm-hmm. 2000s it kind of tapered off, and now we're in the teens, and now we're in the 20s. But in the teens, it there was none. There was none to be had. So now everyone's like, oh my God, I, I gotta start, we gotta start breeding these things, you know, because nobody's got them. And then yeah. that's where we're at now. Yeah. I mean, it's like I said, it's diffusion responsibility. It's the not too different, in my opinion, from the, you know, someone's getting murdered outside of an apartment building. No one calls 911 because they assume everyone else already has. Yeah. Yeah. You know, no one's yeah. no one's really communicating and saying, Hey, you know, I'm getting out of these. Oh, I am too, I am too, I am too, you know. And yeah. so they just kind of disappear because everyone has that not necessarily a herd mentality but a, a mentality of you know no one wants these things there's so many of them yeah mass exodus yeah. of people working with them yeah you know and nipper gets that's on me all the time and yeah, that's how we lose nipper gets on me all the time because he finds out some of the stuff i had back in the day that like just gave it away to friends it was like <laughs> oh yeah you know like stuff we get on import like i always talk about my malukans that were 80 bucks a pop you know Jesus. like stuff like that it's just, you know, we were, we, we, you couldn't give Gaboon Vipers away. We would wholesale them out for $35. Nobody would want them. You know, black and white spinning cobras, black and white spinning cobras, babies that were captive bred that had a perfect stripe going down their back, flawless, like a California king snake, 80 bucks. Nobody wants them. Now, find one, you know? So, Thailand shut down. Good luck. Yeah. So, but you guys are important. Yeah, we'll try. I mean, yeah. we got we got good with uh, our first pairing, and then I think our other adult female has grabbed it as well. Nice. So we're really excited about that one. How many of them did you hold back? Um, we held back three, and we are giving two away to friends, and then one that we're just gonna hold back. They had uh, some issues, slow starters, um, that kind of thing, and then so they were going to be more of like pets, not breeders, but. Yeah. We have a, a large, large group. We have two adult females that are, you know, breeding age right now. One's 11. The other one's about eight or so years old. And then or we have another female that we're growing up and then two, you know, adult males. So 
we are we plan on doing this for a while, so we didn't need, need to hold back any from our first litter. But the okay. next litter, I'm I'm pretty sure we're going to hold a couple back. Cool. Yeah. So, but um, you got I any other? Camaro's, what's that? Go ahead. No, it's okay. Go ahead. Ask your question. Just asking what you guys had lined up pairing wise for the rest, like later in the year, you know, the rest of 2021. Um, so obviously ball pythons. Um, so and then those, <laughs> uh, number one, uh, <laughs> uh, we got the balls. We got, so we have those, the Southerns, um, you know, late, late, you know, maybe, uh, early next breeding season, we'll start with the Northern white lip pythons. Um, we have the, the, uh, Brazilian rainbow boas, um, the cyania, uh, what am I missing, Jeff? I feel like I'm missing something. Um, oh, Candoya. Yeah, Candoya. Well, she's she's gravid right now, so we're gonna give the one the gravid import. We're gonna give her the year off, and then yeah, the one that we bred that we're gonna give her a year off after she has her babies. So cool. Um, but we start pairing everything up in October. So this is the towards the end of the breeding season right now. So if we get eggs from something, we get eggs from something, and then mm -hmm. we'll start prepping everything else. You know, we don't have any really sp any big spring breeders. Do you Our guys breadles. Need... No, 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 Sarah's going to say with the brittles. Yeah. So, I mean, we just have our, our one female um, and she's, you know, still a baby. So we're a long time ahead from ever doing anything with those. Okay. The, uh, do you guys keep anything, I mean, you have the dogs, obviously. They're freaking adorable. <laughs> but do you guys keep anything that's not snakes? Do you guys have any lizards or amphibians or turtles or anything? Chef's mustache. Yes. <laughs> caterpillar. Caterpillar. <laughs> um, we have we have three leopard geckos and then just a cat. Cool. Yeah, we so with the plan in, in here in the office of where I'm at right now is the the idea is to uh, do some bioactives, maybe do some frogs, maybe do some yeah uh, some either some darts or, or something else. Um, but I don't know. That's that's uh, right now. Like my thing is plants. I got I got on that kick with every other woman in America when pandemic hit and everyone just got sucked into plants. Dark frogs are only going to make that worse. I'm going to tell you right I, now. Oh, I know. I've already prepared. Every time I go to Home Depot, Lowe's, Walmart, I'm like, oh, let's go to the plant section. I Just didn't care know. about plants until I started getting darts. Every time. Now I walk through those sections too, and I'm like, I don't even need a plant. But yeah. I really like this begonia. Exactly. And I like I've been I've previous to this and the pandemic and, and everything, like I was notoriously like a plant killer. Like any yes. plant. Like I was so I'd kill like aloe vera plants, like or like <laughs> like desert plants. I'm like, how do how do you die? Like I I watered you like once this month at least. Like how did you, you know? And now that now that I'm paying attention and everything, like they all have like their own little windowsill they sit in, and it's like a whole thing. But I I with that I think that's gonna segue into dart frogs eventually at some that's, point. That's a slippery slope. Yeah, and a Pac-Man frog. Or not a Pac-Man, a pixie frog, my a bad. pixie, yeah. That's the plans, a pixie at some point. In the void yeah. with legs. Yeah. <laughs> They're just so Basically. cool. I see Riley's on his Instagram story all the time. I'm like, oh, I need one. I need uh, you guys, on. you got to get a budget. 
in a budget frog, man. Oh my gosh, there's adorable. Budgets are so much cooler than pixies. I mean, I mean, we haven't we haven't decided yet, technically. So. Yeah, I had, a, I had a budget with one eye. Oh yeah, true. I had a budget with one eye and uh, one eye Willie, of course, and uh, it was the meanest animal in my entire life. <laughs> it's just like he had no soul. And he had no soul. He had no facial expressions. His his goal in life was to just end yours. And <laughs> you take him out of the water and he would scream, you know? You, you guys have heard that, right? Yeah. I've heard it from our leopard geckos recently. That was kind of funny. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. But, like, people think you're murdering a, a child when they hear the budget frog. Ugh. <laughs> but that's what you guys should get. Okay. We'll look into it. Yeah, definitely. And then we also have... Like what? Six hundred rats? <laughs> and oh they, yeah. they don't count though. I don't know. There's a wow. lot. That yeah. definitely counts. <sighs> yeah, we spend you know four hours or so a, a week with them, so I think it definitely counts. Yeah, that, I give you guys mad props for that. I mean, I thought Justin had it bad. That's woof. Mine's nothing, dude. I know. My two racks and my grow up bins ain't shit. <laughs> yep, I'm learning that. I couldn't yeah. do it. Yeah. I would like to add at least one more mouse rack, but other than that, I ain't trying to have a major operation or anything like that. Yeah. It's cheaper. It's easier I, for us. Yeah. I mean, especially in our area, like there isn't like a, a steady mm-hmm. decent supplier of rodents that's at, you know, a decent price. Everyone's starting to sell it at pet store prices and it's just like that's not affordable with the amount of mouths we have to feed. And so we just, we took the the dive into, you know, breeding our own rodents and, and doing all that. And there are some aspects that are hard. You do have to spend a lot of time, you know, dealing with them, cleaning them mm-hmm. on a weekly basis, you know, supplying them, et cetera. But at the end of the day, it beats driving three hours one way to get a hundred rats for all these animals versus yeah. driving 10 minutes down the road to my rodent building. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I, I enjoy it way more than I thought I would. Honestly, it's I, I don't know. I like I like spoiling my mice and my feeders. I like yeah. to give them all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Oh my gosh, have you ever done a hard boiled eggs with them? Mm-hmm. So cool. Oh my gosh, it's the best. You should try it. Hard boil an egg and then like stick your finger through you know one of the Just sides. Like crack the leave shell. The shell. Yeah, leave yeah. the shell. Everything, mm-hmm. and then leave it in there and watch them. It's so fascinating. I have I buy this bird seed from Tractor Supply that's got all kinds of stuff in it and they they love it. Yep. So. For, do you like do a foraging mix? Like you throw it in their bedding and all that stuff? Yeah, I just put a little pile in one corner of the of the tub and it's it's gone. Yeah. You know, in no time. All right. Yeah, what I, we don't, do is, uh, I, I don't have rodents. What happens with the hardboard egg? Oh, so they just they like they go in there and they peel the shell basically and they eat it. It's I don't know. It's just it's kind of entertaining to watch it because they'll get a little piece and then run to the back of the you know tub with it. You know, it's it's just kind of cool. And then <laughs> it's the, cute. The cooler part <laughs> is the foraging mix. I mean, we use like some really high quality cat food, bird seed mix, um, different kinds of bugs like mealworms that are dried, um, oyster cells. I think's in there. Just different kinds. Mm-hmm. Of, I can't remember anything else. So, uh, uh, so black sunflower seeds, uh, the oats, 
Oh. Um, we do uh, Timothy Hay uh, in the back of their tubs just for Yeah, I give mine hay too. Yeah, um, just to give them, you know, some variety in their diet. Um, but you'll see them digging for it and like looking for it, and it's it's yeah. kind of entertaining. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Sorry, we're weird. We I, I don't know. I really enjoy <laughs> like the watching like natural behaviors and the behaviors of animals in particular. I think that's like kind of my my thing that I like to do. So when we did that the very first time with like the hard boiled eggs or even just giving them something new like a piece of cucumber or um like a little bit of apple or, or i think we gave them mango one time and they just like ex- they were like so excited it was <laughs> it was interesting to watch but you know these animals are getting ingested by you know your other animals so you might as well treat them right good. You might as well yeah. feed them right and and you know good in good out yeah no, that's the best like- life until the it's over yeah, I'm talking to Rob Stone about the feeder thing too, and and Matt Most, and you know, please respect your feeders and love your feeders, and you know, you you make those healthy. Your animals are what they eat, and so if you're feeding them old Roy dog food, probably not the best thing. But mine are on the so the bird seed, um, the hay or the grasses, and then I have a FRM rodent diet that I. I offer just in, for kind of the time being when they when they eat all the seeds and stuff until I can get there again. That kind of holds them over. I don't make that sort of the the bulk of their diet, but mm-hmm. yeah, we sw- we switched over to uh, cruise rodent feed recently, mm-hmm. um, so I'm excited to try that. Um, that's it's a good quality, and I hear there's a lot less waste as far as dust goes compared to other products. So mm-hmm. I'm really excited. We had to buy you know a whole pallet of it, but um, it'll last us a while. So yeah. Yeah. I go through hundred pounds and I don't know, month and a half. So. Yeah. Wow. So bad. But I mean, that I FRM is 15 bucks for a 50 pound bag. Wow. Yeah. Ours is, yeah. That's cheap. I wish we had that. Uh, yeah. You got uh, Missouri, which is $30 a bag here roughly. Yeah, that's um, why I I found like if you go on the the FRM website, it shows you distributors and stuff. Because uh-huh. I looked at Missouri, and for a single fifty pound bag, I'm paying sixty dollars with shipping. Jesus. And so it was yeah, like, that's too FRM much. all the way. I drive an hour down into Georgia to go buy it, and the people always have it in stock. So yeah, we looked into that, and it was you know affordable as far as that goes, but shipping killed us because there was yeah, no it's insane local. Yeah. yeah, it was like you paid thirty dollars for the bag of Missouri, and then you paid another almost thirty dollars for shipping, and so it was like, what am I? What What are we doing? What am yeah, I doing? I mean, it's you're paying for the freight though too, because it's a fifty pound yeah. bag. Yeah, I know. I can't remember how much the pallet is that we're getting of cruise, but we're paying I think twenty one dollars a bag, and then plus tax. But mm-hmm. um, it's not. It's more expensive than. You know the other stuff, but it's cheaper than Missouri, so and better product. Yeah, I went with the FRM because P and Cody—that's what they use to feed their rodents—and I know they they wouldn't just give their feeders anything. You know, they they oh, would no. put serious thought into to what they're putting in their animals, and so if it's good, good on their in their their book, then it's good in mine. Yeah, I think that you know not enough people talk about what you're feeding your, your mm-hmm. snakes. Not enough people know where they're food is coming from when it comes to their their animals what are your what are your doobias eating 
you know, when you're feeding them to your geckos and mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, even like talking to Dom, like Dom had a chondro die and she got a necropsy done on it and it had some sort of, was it like kidney or liver failure? One of the two. I, I think remember. it was kidney. And uh, she sent it to Fishhead to Dr. Susan and she got a report back, I think yesterday or this morning that basically said like this thing was going into renal failure, but it had these crystals that were associated with, let me find it actually. It was interesting. Uh, something to have to like something that, that, is typically only found in mammals. And so they were one, like, what are, you know, what are you feeding? And I think she was buying hers locally, but. Yeah. And so that's a really big concern too, right? Is, is not like you're locally sourcing your feeders, knowing who you're buying from and what they're, what they're really putting into those animals. Mm-hmm. I've heard about that in the past where, um, you know, sick rats will be fed to, to animals as feeders and then that animal ends up dead, but there's, you can't really make, unless you get a necropsy, you can't really make that correlation between that pet or that rodent being the, the cause of death. Yeah. There was a, a guy locally that would always tout. He had friends that supplied pet rodents to the pet stores, like guinea pigs, gerbils, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a, a disease called, they'd call it wet tail. Um, I'm, I'm not familiar with it because I'm not a mammal guy, but it's basically like a, a, a lethal diarrhea. And these rodents, they show signs of it. Well, they're they're not pets anymore. They're they're going to die. Like they're you can't get enough medication on that large of a scale for hundreds and hundreds of hamsters. So they would you know uh, euthanize them and then sell them or euthanize them so they were still edible, and then sell them off as snake food. And like, I never understood why you would want to do that. You know what I mean? Like who wants to feed their animal, the prey item that, that died of a, a, a GI issue with, you know, lethal diarrhea. Like that never made sense to me. Mm-hmm. So. I just got to think all that probably, there's probably a lot of bad bacteria in that. I'm not sure how much of that goes away when you freeze it, but yeah. at the same time, is it worth the risk? I mean, I heard, isn't there one of the rodent suppliers that, gets their rodents from all different places, different labs and stuff. I, I can't remember. I don't know. I've heard of, of that being a thing. I don't know with who though. Yeah. But I mean, as far as, you know, we, when we use frozen, we used to use frozen, we use cold blooded cafe, mm-hmm. but I think it's important to know where your rodents come from. If you're getting frozen thawed or you're getting live 100%, what you yeah. feed your animals. So the, the, Dr. Susan, there was crystals and scar tissue in the kidneys. She said the crystals look like oxalates, which is often seen in mammals with ethylene glycol toxicity, antifreeze toxicity, or eating oxalate-rich plants. So it's pretty interesting. That makes you wonder, like, what the hell are they, <laughs> what are they eating? Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. It's scary. I, I know she went through a lot with that animal, and then she did everything she could. Yeah. Well, now I'm Googling oxalate-rich plants, and let's see what... Vegetables that contain high levels of oxalate include potatoes, rhubarb, okra, leeks, spinach, beets, swish chard. Hmm. So they're saying that possibly feeding your rodents a diet rich in those types of foods could potentially... I mean, that's just what healthline.com... When I Google it, that's yeah. the first thing that pops up is that's that's vegetables that contain. 
Well, then you have to think about, okay, so these are products that are probably readily accessible for a cheap price. Potatoes yeah. are dirt cheap, typically, in a lot yeah. of places. And if they're feeding that as a substitute for other foods or adding that in, I mean, that would make sense, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I'll tell you, I, I worked for a ratter for a little bit and uh, for like a year and we did live delivery and the live delivery we had was a really unique cardboard box that had mesh screens on the sides, very much reminiscent of like how you get crickets in the mail. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the things I had to do was make the boxes with this special staple gun and uh, it was literally fold it, add the screen, staple it in, handful of bedding. And then I had cut hundreds of potatoes daily and I would cut them in, in, into fourths, you know, and just throw wet potato, raw potato in there. And they would eat that on their travels, you know, it's within 12 hours, but yeah. that's all they ate was those potatoes in, at least with me. So, and again, I assumed it was only for that, but who knows if they could be only feeding them potatoes and something like that happens, you know? Mm-hmm. And Who I knows? will preface that that list is in in relation to people, not rodents. Yeah, yeah, but who you know? Who knows? Is it are, these, are those types of foods bad? You know, what what was the contributing factor? You know, I don't yeah. Know. Who knows? You know, Dominique could have got her rodents from a guy who ran out of Missouri and didn't have the opportunity to get it because of a snowstorm or because of shipping issues or yeah, COVID or whatever. And the guy fed him a whole bag of Iowa whites. You know, who knows? No. What's an Iowa white? <laughs> potato. A potato. Oh. Potato. Like Idaho Golds. You I know? wasn't born on a dairy. <laughs> I wasn't born on a dairy. Well, it was a retired dairy, but anyway. <laughs> Same thing. We had Herefordshires. It's different. <sighs> Me and Kendra are both from Kansas. It's so surprised we don't know that. Yeah. Well, we're at two and a quarter. So if people want to get a hold of you, where is the best place they can do such? Super easy. Puget Sound Pythons on Facebook. Pudget. Puget dot. No, not Pudget. <laughs> Puget dot sound dot pythons at, on Instagram. And uh, they can just find us on Facebook at our personal accounts. Mm -hmm. Oh, awesome. We very much appreciate y'all coming on. Oh, yeah. I'm glad you guys for having us. Yeah, I appreciate this. Thank you, guys you for are awesome. your, your sponsorship of Snakes and Stogies. Oh, yeah. You guys keep killing it. We'll keep supporting. Yeah. Also much appreciated. So, we'll still later, speaking, of, oh, speaking of Snakes and Stogies, Monday yes. night, 9, episode 67. We'll be live on the THN YouTube channel or the THN Facebook page. So... Phil, think of things to talk about. <laughs> I'm sure we'll whip something up. I usually plan ahead. I do. Five hours out from actual having to do the show. I'm like, let's talk about this, this, this. Yeah. But you do it good. Just well, them out there and see what, see what works. Organized yep. chaos. Love it. Yeah, pretty much. That's how we roll. <laughs> how so. we do it. Well, thank you all. Yeah, thank you very much, guys. guys. Awesome time. Thanks again to Steve Snake Shearing's Venom Hot Sauce and MP Cages and Exotics. Please check both of them out on Facebook. 
follow us on Facebook, the Herpeticulture Network, which includes the Herpeticulture Podcast, Snakes and Stogies, the Contracast, once every time the Olympics rolls around. And a uh, new issue of Herpeticulture Magazine is now out as well. Yes. As of over the weekend. And I'm actually currently working on literally remaking issue one through seven to put on MagCloud so I can get rid of Picho because having those two platforms and where you can order multiple copies of different issues in one order, which you could do on MagCloud, you cannot do on Picho. So I need to take those older issues and put them on MagCloud, but that requires me to literally recreate them in the, in the program we use now and export for the MagCloud settings. It's very... It's very convoluted. It's very time consuming. But once I get that tackled, the website's completely caught up and everything. Um, so just the work never ends. We love it. God bless you. It'll, it'll be nice when they're all in one place. Yeah. You know? And I'm I like I still am very con like uh, self conscious about like we had language in the first issue, which I mean, I don't care about, but I know that kind of turned off a, a handful of people originally. So I'm going through and like wiping all that out and erasing the old one from the memory banks of the internet. And well, now you're not, you're just taking out the cuss words, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. There's small yeah. things that are changing, but it's more or less like I'm literally trying to like have the, the design exactly the same as it was on the original program on InDesign. So cool. Good. Probably spending more time trying to do that than I should. That's all right. It'll be worth it. It's our first issue too. You know, yeah. it's got to be the best. Like I made the cover almost verbatim how it was. Good. Like this isn't something I could just like copy and paste. Like yeah, I literally have to buy by hand everything. Like completely re blank slate redo it. So Justin motherfucking Smith. I'm a glutton for punishment. You are. Work yeah. ethic unmatched. Unmatched. And for those of you who are yelling at me that I haven't come out with the episode two of Venomous Etiquette videos, it's coming. I'm just behind the ball and work and hecticness. Mm -hmm. It's on its way. So fear not. A lot of people are asking about it, man. Make it happen. I know. I know. And then, you know, Iper's been calling me just to chit chat on occasion. And, you know, he's actually like, hey, man, I'm going to send you a video of this and you should do a video of that. And I'm like, Oh my God, this is brilliant. Cause now it's like, I have my way of, of doing a bunch of stuff. I have a couple other friends that gave me some stuff that they thought I might want to put in. And then like, Scott's got a whole different concept of how to do certain things, which I think is phenomenal. Like I'm adding it to my repertoire. So like, it's cool to, I'm going to, I'm probably going to hit him up and make him do some video stuff for me to add to the, to the venomous etiquette, because it's great to have, you know, <laughs> the same, ideas but portrayed in a completely different way from across yeah, the world definitely yeah. it's working with a different group of animals you know they're, they're yeah. doing it a, a different way you know a way that we probably aren't using yeah. on a regular basis over here because we you know we have such a larger spectrum of stuff to work with yeah he uh, he called me the other day and i think we talked on the phone for it's always an hour conversation because when someone calls you from australia you don't want to just hang up you know um, you don't ever call and talk to me. <laughs> well, it, normally it's it's him venting his frustrations, which I also appreciate. <laughs> but we we talked for about forty five minutes on bags, like just bags, nerds, and like I think it's fantastic. But at the same time, like things you just didn't think about, 
like we have snake bags. Yep. But do we really have the right snake bags? Pillowcases. You know I mean? Dollar store pillowcases. Socks. It's going to be in venomous videos. Do it. All right. Thank you again, guys, by the way. Yeah, we'll see you all later. Thank you. Say bye, Jeff. Later, guys. Thank you. (laughs) Bye, Jeff. (laughs) Bye.